And welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing? All right. We've got a special guest today. Front man of legendary bands, A Life Once Lost, and current all-stars, Mind Power, and Bucks County legend, Mr. Bob Meadows. How's it going? Bobby! How's it going, guys? How's it going? Good, good. How's everyone? I'm okay. You know, the, I think the last time I saw you in person was maybe at a Life Once Lost gig in New York City in like 2012. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, where where so, were we playing? It was it Vitus or was it somewhere else? It was somewhere in Manhattan. I don't remember where exactly. Maybe like Knitting Factory or yeah, I can't remember. It was I had just moved to New York City and I had like no money. So like, and I lived way up in Westchester because I was staying with my sister. Yeah. So like, I would go to work, and then I would like show up the shows like in my work, like my suit and shit, and and I would like <laughs> pack, I would like pack a lunch to bring with me because I didn't have any money like to uh, to eat anywhere because I I was saving up to get an apartment in New York City, which is fucking awful and costs yeah. a lot. So those were yeah, I'm not I'm not envious of you for that. No man, you don't you don't want to be involved with that. The cost of living there is just insane, man. I, I, I can't fathom how you do it. And you've you done can, it as long as you have, you know? You can walk down the street and just, like, spend $70, $80 without even thinking of it. Like, you're like, <laughs> oh, I need, I need some body wash. I need some uh, some this, some that. And then you realize you spent, like, $120, and you're like, uh, why, why am I here? Why am I doing this? <laughs> I, have, I have a student right now, and I remember... Uh, I, well, I'd actually, I, I've had a couple of the siblings, but like it was uh parent teacher conferences. The first time I had this parent come in and it was like parent teacher conferences for us are like an all day thing. So we, we have a half day of school and then it's like 12 to 1230 to like three o'clock. And then they give us off from like three to four 30. And then the nighttime one is like four to seven 30. So parents at work and have like later jobs can come in at night. It was like 7.29 and I'm like packing. I literally like have my backpack on. I'm about to walk out the door and this dad walks in and I'm like, yo, what the fuck? And he's like, hey, my son's name is so-and-so. I'm really sorry. I have a long commute. And I was like, oh, like, let's chat while we walk out to my car. We'll just chat about your son on your way out. And he's like, oh, that's fine with me. He's like, uh, I actually already met with his reading teacher. We're good to go. My commute is terrible. I said, where do you commute from? And he's like, the Bronx. And I'm like, <laughs> to Trenton and he's like well you know I used to live in the Bronx for a long time and uh he got a job working for he works for the New York Public Housing Authority and he's essentially oh, wow. he's a super um of one of the like uh one of the, like the high-rise buildings that's in the Bronx and he was like you know it my options were I, I moved down here because my most of my family's down here he's like I moved down here and he's like because my options were either find another job and give up my pension, my, like, he's like, my, my healthcare, he's like, it's amazing. He's like, my healthcare is amazing. All the benefits are amazing. Like, I have a pension through them. He's like, I was going to lose all of that. He's like, so I figured I'd just suck it up for the next 15 years and just do this. And I'm like, 
Holy sacrifice. shit, dude. But he literally, I was like, what time do you get up in the morning? He gets up at 3.15. 3.15 to commute to the Bronx every day. Ew. I, 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 yeah. I was like, That's dude. impossible. Yeah. I would, uh, just commuting from like Westchester down to Manhattan was a nightmare. Right? But I guess, you know, some people can do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Bob, uh, what's what's going on with you? Like, uh, how how are you uh, faring in, in the age of Corona? Uh, I'm doing all right. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I got laid off March 11th before the uh, shutdown began. And, what do you uh, do? I'm not even sure. Um, I'm a union laborer right now. Okay. Uh, I, I work with uh, a drilling company. We drill uh, caissons for buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's kind of a it's, a it's a nice risky job, you know. Keeps you on your toes. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. you're working, you know. Uh, I think the first day that I was there, first time I was ever around a machine like that, and the hole was an eight foot diameter, and we're already at depths of about like ninety feet into the wow. earth. Uh, it's called like, I think the rock was registered at like a 40 ton rock. So that means like in a hydraulic press, that rock will not break until there's 40 tons of pressure on it kind of shit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got drill bits going in and out like auger bits kind of, but just with a machine and it, it was, it was wild that you, you, so the, 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 they have a core barrel, they put the core barrel in that just kind of cuts the hole, but you have to literally pick it up with the machine, put it in the hole, walk out over top of this 90 foot drop harnessed in you know put the pin in and then walk right back out you know <laughs> and, and now that's so i'm sitting up there and i'm having a, a cigarette up on top of the hill and then my, my foreman's like uh he's like yo he's bringing that out you better go down there and get that and i'm like shit like i just started here you know run down there yeah. and i literally ran out on top of this on top of this core barrel with not strapped in not realizing it until after i took it out and I look back and I'm like, holy shit, I'm not even fucking tied off. And the operator's like, yeah, I know. Get the fuck off the machine, dude. And I was like, I was like oh, my God. And I just ran right off of there. And, and right then and there, I'm just like, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is fucking sketchy. But it, oh, it's, it's, it, 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 the work pays well. My benefits are really good. My, my health that's insurance nice. is amazing. That's my awesome. pension's going to be really good. Yeah. And that, that's what I do right now. You know, uh, touring isn't for me anymore. You know, being in a band like that isn't really for me anymore. But I just... Do you you will not be touring anymore in any band? Um, it, I can't say that, but at the moment, I can say that. Okay. You know what I mean? It's just it's just a current, hear- the current the current feeling and, and the status of of where life is right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, tour, and touring is is the least of my concerns, to be honest, with, with just everything that's going on. There might not even yeah, be like, any more live shows anymore. Yeah, it's it's everything I'm seeing. It's looking like 2020 is pretty much done. Yeah. For live shows. But I hear you on the touring thing. Like, I traveled a ton for my current job and I fucking hate it. I hate it. Like, even though I, I travel by myself and, you know, I get a, a nice coach seat in the plane and they pay for a hotel, it sucks. I, I don't like it. I don't like being away. I don't like being out of my routine. And yeah. I, I like to imagine that it would be, I would enjoy it more if I was like touring with a band, but probably your not friends. because. Yeah, because you're Family. with your friends and you're, you're doing something you enjoy. But, you know, I've done it. You've done it. You're cramped in a van. You're, you don't know if you have somewhere to stay. You don't have any money. It's, it's not the most glamorous lifestyle. No, it, it never was. But I never did it for, like, the, the fame and the fortune. Uh, right. I think that uh, I was very fortunate to join my first band to take it to where it went. Uh, yes. I, I was very, 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 very fortunate to do that. 
Yeah. Uh, not many, yeah, not many people can actually say that about anything, you know? Um, but for me, it, it was, it, it wasn't like what I, what I, what I, what pulled me in was the first show I went to that was like a hardcore show. And uh, I believe it was, uh, Orange Nine Millimeter at the church with Handsome in Christ. And it just fucking, it, it leveled me, you know, it, yeah. it just, just seeing, and feeling that energy in that room at, at the first Unitarian church. And that's the first time I ever stepped in there. And that was in 1996 or 1997 that yeah. I stepped in there. You know, that was my first glimmer of that. I went there with a friend of mine, uh, Max Brand, who went to Ben Salem. Um, and, uh, ended up doing that, um, going to another show. And then I just wanted it. You know what I mean? Then I got into hardcore. Then I got into booking, you know, and then it, after that, it was just, the dean came up to me at an Ink and Dagger show at Stalag, asked me if I wanted to sing or something like that, and I was like, "Ah, oh, maybe I don't know." <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be at the sh- I'm going to be at the show anyway. It sounds like fun. Yeah, let me try it. Yeah. And then we, I think we, we practiced. Actually, we, I don't, I don't think we practiced at Doug's house. I think we practiced at Mike McGonigal's house in his basement. That was the first time I ever sang with those dudes. Maybe was it there or was it? I don't. I, I forget where it was, but yeah. uh, it, it was just. It was it was surreal, man. I, I never felt anything like that. It, it's better than it's 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 one of the most amazing feelings to be yeah. able to stand for, on a stage like that. Oh, absolutely. And for context, folks, we're we're talking about a life once lost and uh, the beginning stages. So Vadim approaches you, and he's like, "Hey, you want to sing for this band?" So were you were you all about that idea, or did you did you not care, or were you um, like, hmm. I, I mean, the whole idea was I was going to be at the show regardless you yeah. know like and, and and i like the idea and i always wanted to sing in a band yeah um why not give it a try you know i, I was never much of a, a no guy at that age you know what mm-hmm. i mean um so yeah yeah let me try let me see what it's like and and I, again like i forget whose basement i showed up to but we we, we ran through some songs real fast um you, i don't think you can even really hear me and I, I think at the first show i didn't even really sing into the microphone besides like you know jumping around like like a like a monkey and slamming the <laughs> microphone into the floor and smashing it into like a thousand pieces you know um yeah. it, it was intense for the most part you know what i mean like i i lost it i, I freaked out when i was up there uh, yeah. I, I didn't know what else to do but that that was just my natural reaction was to be that you know it took me it almost took me like two years just to be able to turn around and actually look people in the face and then once i did that that's when i started having fun that was yeah cool. I, so I that, remember that. I remember that show really well, just because uh, we played that show. That yeah, was yeah. That. You guys played it. This day four played it. Uh, Fire down below played it. Um, I feel like there was a few other bands on it. It wasn't anything crazy. It, it was. A, no. It was just a. Good, it was an overall good show. There was a lot yeah. of like awesome people. And a lot of our friends were there. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. So, do you remember that first practice when you when you were like trying out, so to speak? Was it was it like really scary? Because I've I've been in that situation where. Yeah. Yeah. And especially vocally, because like I, it's nerve wracking in general. I've tried out for a couple bands, you know, uh, it's gone good. It's gone not good. Yeah. But like, I imagine that it, it was just a lot of pressure. It's just weird, man. It, it was yeah. just like uh, I, I wasn't I was used to like I was just getting into the promoting aspect of, of, of doing the show. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like. I knew that I was starting to make a lot of different friends, you know, just from going to shows and stuff. And mm-hmm. I, and nothing really ever prepared me for just 
like holding that microphone and hearing them play like uh, Jones said, please, or a summer sky, winter air or whatever the songs were, you know, um, yeah. it, it was just, I, I, I was big into writing like poetry. Uh, I was big into writing just, I was always good at it. You know, I, I just, yeah. it was a great way for me to express myself and especially growing up as like a jock, you know, straight edge kid, you know, I, I had a way to like, kind of be sensitive and soft and stuff, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah, dude, any- that's how I remember meeting you, Bobby. Was you? I you? Uh, I forget where Audience of One was playing, but you came up to us, and I'm pretty sure you were wearing Southampton YMCA. Yes, yeah, Southampton. You said that exactly what it was, and you came up and you were like, "Dude, I'm, f- I like, I absolutely want to do this. Like, I'm booking bands. This is amazing. Like, you guys sound great." Um, and at that point in time, like that iteration of Audience of One was like fucking grindcore. It was like, yeah, yeah, it was fucking like noise. Grindcore. Yeah, you know, and uh, but I remember being like, who is this kid? You were wearing you had glasses. You had like a really tight baseball hat on and you had some type of shirt on that had wrestling on it. Remember the uh, narcotics officer hat? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. I forgot about that. Damn. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. What what I wouldn't uh, pay to be straight edge again, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm straight edge now, and I got to tell you, it, it makes shit a lot easier. Yeah, Let me yeah. back up. I'm technically straight edge now. I, I still smoke cigarettes occasionally, and yeah. I had to quit joling again because that got out of hand. So how does that uh, get out? How does that get out of hand, though? I don't understand. Like because I'm fucking insane. I I, I get <laughs> all right. You, you do. So You're an addictive personality. Yes, I and I, it starts out innocently, like anything else, Obviously. and then I wake up and I'm hitting it right away. I I uh I go to sleep and I and I hit it and hit it until I until I get dizzy because I have to feel something and there's there's a trick I learned where if you take the cartridge out and put it back in it hits like a brand new cartridge every time so literally oh every God. single hit I'm pulling the cartridge out and putting it back in and hitting it until I get dizzy I'm I'm insane <laughs> that's a, that's fucking wild dude in my head yeah. I'm going like like Meadows and I talk at not like at nights once in a while. And like, the thing is, is he, I've explained this to him before is like, I, I've stopped smoking during the day. Like yeah. I, I, I don't smoke at oh, all. You were chief in that one night you were chief in cigarettes. Like bro, bang, 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 <laughs> bang, 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 bang. I think I'm like in a row, in a row. It was like a fucking, like I, it was like the forties. Like I was just fucking like pounding cigarettes. I think I had five or six in a row. Cause Meadows and I were just sitting there FaceTiming. So we we're just fucking talking shit. And yeah. he's he's out in his shed, and I'm standing there out in my garage, and like, I'm just just going off. And he's like, "So do you just chain smoke at night?" I'm like, "Well, tonight I do. I don't know. Usually, <laughs> fucking most of the time I come out and have one, and then you know listen to some music while I'm out here, and maybe have two, and then go to bed. Like, yeah, well, while yeah. I'm in the shed drinking a beer and like smoking a joint or something. There's certain situations like when we're at this is hardcore or like a show, and it's like kind of the old gang. I I want to like enhance it a bit. But I'm at the point now where I know I just realized that cigarettes or jeweling aren't aren't going to add anything, and I, no, I'm no, just going to no. have to like stop it again if I if I get started. So I'm, I can just kind of be like, no, it's it's not worth it. Let's circle back now. I I remember hearing a rumor a long time ago. Mike Shaw was like, you know, he he was explaining how he st- got started vocally with this day forward and how it took him a long time to like get his voice right and get it straight. And he said that you got it within like the first practice or, you know, pretty quick, like within a couple hours, you had it down and you could like do the scream. Is that true? Uh, I mean, uh, what, I mean, 
yes and no. I mean, it, it took me yeah. a while to like with adrenaline going. It's different. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's just like a, a kid that wraps along to a to a, you know KRS One or something where he just keeps yeah. up with it. What I was doing is I was singing along to you know like Sean Ingram, you know uh, like like Jacob Bannon, like yeah. Jamie Josta, you know uh, uh, fucking Mike Oleander from Endeavor and mm-hmm. like and and, and the bro from for the love of i forget the original singer's name but um yeah i mean tim singer like that guy kissed goodbye like i had these cds and what i would do is i would blast like i would be in in my room in my Mm -hmm. house blasting this like full volume full volume (laughs) screaming screaming my face off yeah at the at the at the stereo you know like and lost my voice lost my voice lost my voice and then bang now I could keep up. Now I had like the chops. So when I stepped in and I could hold a microphone, now it got weird because now it's amplified. You know, yeah. I never liked hearing myself yeah. in monitors. You know, I always liked hearing myself in the main because I felt like that's, that was what people came to hear. You know, mm-hmm. when I hear myself in a monitor, monitor mixes were always shit anyway at clubs. You know, mm-hmm. they were never fucking good, but yeah, it, it was, it was easy. I mean, I lost my voice a lot. You know what yeah. I mean? But then again, I didn't know how, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm screaming from my throat and not from my diaphragm. Once right. I so learned, you actually put some some prep work into it. You didn't just get out there and you're like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. It sounds like you did some practicing on your own. Well, it, it was a goal of mine, you know, yeah. like like I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, you know, high school wrestler. You know what I mean? I'm a solid, good wrestler. And I had a coach named Jack Dunn. And what he mm-hmm. did at the beginning of the season is he implemented goals. He He said write down what you want to achieve this year, you know? So you're like, Oh, I want to, I want to win this tournament. Uh, this, I want to make two takedowns and pin somebody. And so yeah. you make up all these like stupid, like goals in wrestling, you know, and you achieve some, you don't achieve some, but it would just make you work harder. So mm-hmm. I implemented that philosophy with me being in a band and I wasn't even in a band yet. All right. Gotcha. So I wrote down, I want to play Ozfest. I want to be in a magazine. I want to be on MTV. I want yeah. to go to Europe. I want to, I want to, tr- I want to tour this country and I want to put out, you know, I want to put out a couple records. And I literally yeah. wrote this. I wish I had the piece of paper, but I wrote it down and I put it, you know, where I could see it every day. And I looked at it every, every day. And then when the Dean came along and I, I, I just didn't really pay mind to it. I just thought it was like all like aloof. Like it, it's just going to, this is going to blow over. This is nothing. Within after that first show, like Vadim said and TJ said, like I was the guy like pushing, like, okay, yo, I got us a show here. I got us a show here. Yo, listen, you're not going to school Friday because we're driving out to Chicago and we're playing the show <laughs> in a house that's being evicted. You know, we're, we're doing this. Uh, are we getting paid? Who cares? I have money to put in the gas tank. Let's go. Come right. on. Because right. I'm already a union laborer at this point. You know uh. what I mean? You know, so I'm, I'm making good money as a 19 year old, 20 year old kid, you know, yeah. being my first band and, I basically put us on pace. I'm booking shows at Palanca Park. I'm booking shows at the Fallsington, uh, the Fallsington, uh, Eagles Lodge or whatever that was. Every venue, Yardley Fire Hall, you know, all these venues I found and I just went around and I just hustled. I hustled, talked to promoters. I talked to agents. That's how Life on Sloss got to where it was is because I fucking hustled in the beginning and I, I put us on the fucking map very early on. Uh, our first right. U.S. tour, I booked. Our second U.S. tour, I booked, and I booked it with between the barity me and the end. You know, like I, I worked my ass off to make that band what it was. You know what I mean? And there was a lot of bumps in the road, and 
and you know there was there was a lot of like people that got hurt along the way and it fucking sucks you know what i, I mean? think that's it one really of the- it really it really fucking sucks that I, I that i put people in a position that i did but at the end I of think- the day it, it, there was a lot more good than there was bad in that band uh, i a hundred percent agree with that i think that's one of the things that i i thought it was important to have you on bob is because like we've had two people from a life once lost that have that that have left the band under their own choice and like we wanted to have you on to be like yo what's bobby's side of this because like I remember going to your shows and loving it and like always being like being around you and Doug was like my favorite thing in the world. Like, well, well, uh, Doug, Doug was a total clown. You know what I mean? Doug still, still did one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life was you had a show at Palenka. I don't remember who was playing. Doug was at working at Taco Bell, um, and came on his break or his lunch, like his lunch. It was like his 15 minute break. Yes. Yes, exactly. That it's 15 minutes down street road. So he yeah. shows up with a Taco Bell uniform, literally with a taco in his hand and a soda, and a band is playing. He walks into the middle of the pit and starts fucking doing jumping jack jumping jacks, throws the soda all over the crowd, and fucking spin kicks a bunch of people and then walks out. <laughs> and in my head i'm going like that that's my friend right there that's the yeah, fucking yeah. funniest shit i've ever seen <laughs> he was a funny kid he always was man yeah. <laughs> he's fucking always just, make, just always make me laugh like hard as shit and that's what i always thought about is uh when you guys came up to uh you guys played well do you guys remember do you remember this you came up to wilkesbury to play cafe metro yeah and uh Wh- which I, time which time i don't i don't remember there was so many like i think there we was played- like Tommy, we played Cafe Metro so many times that I met this kid that said his older brother showed his his oldest brother showed his older brother and his older brother showed him a life once lost. And they all wow, said Wow, really? Yeah. Generational. That's Ge- yeah, a generational band, dude. That's mm-hmm. huge. This is how wild this place was. <laughs> Think about ca- Cafe Metro literally ser- they served like nothing. There was like I don't know what they fucking call it, Cafe. There was literally nothing there to eat. Or it is <laughs> Um, I think it was just a, yeah, like a, 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 a fake so they could do shows in the back. Yes, exactly. But they, uh, it was really funny was it was next to this place. I remember people saying when I first got to college, people were like, you got to go to Cafe Metro. I was like, all right, cool. Now, do you, do you ever think about how crazy it is that just Vadim approaches you to, to sing for this band and it, it takes you on this wild journey, all those things that you wrote down on that piece of paper happened? Yeah, because you know, I, I had TJ on the show, and, and the same thing with him. Vadim is must be like an angel or something. He approaches people to be in these bands, and they take them on this wild journey in life. Like I mentioned to him, the only thing anyone's ever approached me to say is, you know, could you please go away, or could you please quiet down, or yeah, could yeah. you please, <laughs> could you please leave the establishment? Vadim had the same attitude that I had in the beginning, and um, I, I didn't necessarily like all the music that he liked, and I didn't necessarily like all the music he wrote. But he was mm-hmm. always he was always a really really good friend of mine, you know what I mean. Yeah. And he he took me to that place that that I that that, that took me all over the world, you know. Like yeah. uh, I I can't thank that kid enough. And you know we, we had a, like a little bit of a weird falling out, but it, it was nice that we were able to reconnect on yeah. a on a on a nice level, you know what I mean? And and, and play a little bit of a catch up kind of a game, you know. Yeah, uh, I enjoy I, that. Same thing with I, PJ. I, I, I had the same experience with Vadim. Not that we, we didn't technically have a falling out, but I was just kind of like a little nasty to him for, for no reason in particular. So I was glad I got to have that conversation with him uh, 
on this show. But um, oh, you mentioned TJ too. Did you did you guys ever reconnect? Yeah, we did. We did. I, I listened to the uh, podcast and I hit him up afterwards. But even before that, you know, um, there there was a lot of uh, um, a lot of uh, a lot of apologies uh, that I that I in his way. You know, and I, I've yet to see him. And uh, when I do see him, I, I owe him, I owe him a lot. You know, he, that, that kid also took me all over the place. Uh, I, I remember the first, the first tour that a Life One Sauce ever did that I forced all these kids to going into. And mm-hmm. I'm fucking 19 years old or 20. Uh, Doug and Vadim are 16. I think Rich is 15 and TJ's 14. So now I, now I have to go to everyone's parents' houses to talk to them about <laughs> what I'm doing. So I go to Doug's house. Okay. So if you know Doug's dad and, and mom, mom was always oh, yeah. very timid, but Doug's dad was always like Doug and like Mike, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so just me like talking about it and he stood up with the biggest smile on his face and he gave me the biggest handshake and he's like, take care of my boy. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. All right. That was easy. And then I go and I meet up with uh, Mrs. Tabor and then I talk to her and that was easy. And then I go talk to Rich's dad, you know, that How's was that? Oh, uh, that was way too easy, dude. Rich yeah, Rich's Rich dad is the fucking chillest dude. Dude, he is amazing. Uh, we always had a legend that, yeah, I'm not even going to talk about him anyway. Um, <laughs> I went to, I talked to Rich's mom as well. Um, yeah. And then it was TJ's mom. Okay. So I'm talking yeah. to her. And here's this kid, 14 years old. And here I am, you know, 19, 20, straight edge, you know. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'll take care of him. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'm like, trust me, just trust me. Like nothing's going to happen to him. You know, I'll make sure that he eats every day. I'll make sure that he's making the right choices and stuff like that. And she's like, all right, cool, cool. I'm like, why don't you come out and you can like see us play. So that way you're like a little bit more comfortable. And she's like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, yeah, I'll come out. And she comes out to a show at Palanca Park. Okay, so here I am playing. And I have guys from like uh, from someplace I worked right before I got into the union, right before, you know, we were able to start doing this. Um, from Mealy's Furniture that came out to see me play. Oh, and here I, I turn around and I take this microphone and I repeatedly smash it onto my forehead until <laughs> I'm just gushing blood everywhere, all over my face. It's all over me. It's all over people in the front now. And I just like, when I take my glasses off, I can't see, but I was close enough to her that I saw her face and she looked horrified that she accepted this thing this 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 is the guy that's going to take care of my baby boy there's no there's no way i'm letting this guy no there's no way tj's going on this tour there's no way but man it was it was yeah that was fun it was kind of wild you know the the tour went off with a huge success too we went out with the end you know it it was a lot of fun man it was a lot of wild times a lot of shows got canceled uh but we we made the best of it that's all we could do. You know, we were all straight edge kids, you know, the guys in the end all smoked weed and drank beer and shit, but that wasn't any of our interest at that point. Yeah. I know? remember them making fun of my cigarettes. They like, I had cigarettes with me and they were like, what are these? And I was like, Oh, camel lights. And they like looked at them. They were like, dude, this like doesn't even have any nicotine in it. Like this has like, what's the <laughs> fucking tar level on it? Yeah. So yeah. Like, fuck <laughs> you idiots smoke. Like, I'm like, hey, fucking like, <laughs> Like we smoked these things. They had this fucking, I don't know, who the smoked Side the slide. It's a side slide. It's like. Yeah. Who it, smoked it, the band? Was it Anthony uh, or? Uh, I don't know. One of them smoked. And I remember he gave me a cigarette and I was like, I thought I was going to die. I was like, dude, this <laughs> is not, like, this is not They're cool. They're like reds. 
Yeah, they're like reds, except they're, they, for some reason, they felt like they smoked longer. Like, you know how, like, uh, like American spirits feel like they smoke forever? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Like that type of smoke, but like, like reds. It was so fucking brutal. I was just like, oh my God, I can't fucking deal with these kids. Like, they're fucking out of control. Now, when the Life on Slows first got started, I remember you guys making a big splash right away. Because, Bob, I kind of knew you from booking shows. I think you were just getting started with that. And I didn't know anybody else in the band, but I met all of you guys the first time I saw you, which was at the the now famous Dugstock, which uh, <laughs> which got shut down early uh, for yeah. reasons I don't understand. I just remember Doug running through and being like, "It's over! It's over! Everyone leave!" So, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think it was a neighbor complaint or something like that. I guess. Okay. Yeah. But you guys made a big splash right away because, like I mentioned in a few other episodes, you know, this day forward was my frame of frame of reference and. I had mostly seen like pretty traditional hardcore bands, but you guys, you know, you amped up the intensity and they were more technical. And it was just, you know, right from the start, it was, uh, it was a big deal. Yeah, we 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 didn't want to sound like this day forward or like the Boz Hennas or the Sound of Failures, Audience of Ones, Blue Sky State yeah. or Trading Places. You know, we we yeah. wanted to approach it differently. And I know the big influence then was like, you know, bands like For the Love of. You know, you heard a lot of that in there. You heard a lot of. Uh, shit that band barrett uh mm-hmm. that the one guitar player went on to be in vain um yeah we had we had a weird influence you know we actually even with like the, the demo and open your mouth for the speeches we didn't really fall into our own sound until maybe about like even like the fourth play we didn't really have a sound we were still trying to discover it we didn't really hit our sound until a great artist we we, we morphed multiple times you know we, we put out open your mouth for the speechless it sounds like i'm saying wah wah the whole time you know, um, <laughs> Falls River Farewell and Just Before His Crucifixion were the, like the two bangers off that. I, I remember Vadim not wanting to play songs just because he wasn't into that mentality. Like he said, like we, we started to become like more aggressive in our music. You oh. know, Vadim never liked that aggressive approach that, like, that we took. That was like there was times where um, so the opening of if you're not familiar with it, go listen to Just Before His Crucifixion. Um, there's a really subtle guitar part that starts and then it goes into this breakdown. I remember when, as soon as those notes started being played and it's definitely not something you want to mosh to people would start murdering each other. Oh yeah. It's clobbering time. Like as soon as you fucking heard that, like it was like, just beat the shit out of everybody. Yeah. Do you remember there was a show you guys played at Palenka park and it may have been Joan said, please, it was something off of, open your mouth for the speechless and you're like this is the last fucking time we're ever playing this song and you started playing it and the place exploded and this kid jumped up and grabbed onto the uh chandelier, the chandelier. And, he yeah, and he, he cut his hand open and the chandelier is swinging <laughs> ryan martoni goes over and he holds it up yeah yeah and I, I remember being on a chair holding it up too while someone like jury rigged it with a with a wire hanger. and what's funny is that we didn't stop playing <laughs> no <laughs> So for frame of reference, if anybody knows, like, so if you're listening to this and you don't know what Polanka Park is, it's um, uh, like a Ukrainian. Uh, Pol- no, Polish, Polish Army Polish? Veterans Hall. Yes. Yeah, Polish it's, Army Veterans Hall. Yeah, So think like um, VFW Hall, but like uh, much, it's, it's, yeah, it's big, big. Like, I mean, Bobby, how many people do you think you could fit in there? A thousand if you really wanted to? I had 1,500 in there in Spring Fling. 
Well, yeah, I have a question. Do you think? Do you think? Did anyone ever alert the venue that that the chandelier thing happened, or do you think it's still no. being held up by a hanger? No, actually, I went there recently. They made the stage bigger, and yeah. they they took all the sconces and they raised them up, and now uh-huh. all the chandeliers are like right in the ceiling now. It's like a perfect venue, but it, it's uh-huh. really hard. It's really hard to get in touch with anyone there, yeah, uh, because I've been trying for like the last like two years. I had a meeting set up. I went there. No one showed up. And I was just like, okay, cool. Call the guy. I didn't answer. Call the guy. He answers. Can I get another meeting with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come by this day. Okay, come by. Does not there. So it's just been like kind of, you know, I thought that chasing, dude chasing lived out the parking dream. lot. The, no, the Stanley, that... Stanley died. Stanley was the guy that I dealt with. He passed away uh, years ago, like almost a decade ago. Damn. Um, maybe not a decade ago. Maybe um, six, yeah. seven years ago, I guess. Like his, okay. it's basically his wife and his son run it now. Okay. But I, I don't know if they live out on that tr- that weird trailer that was off to the side. Yeah, that was always like you would always see him like he was like uh, he was very not he was super polite when you, if you t- engage with him, but like he definitely always seemed like he was kind of like lurking. Like what did he? Oh fuck- yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when, 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 when we get further into the interview, I'll talk about Spring Fling about how that all took place and how I did that. Because why don't we jump? Why don't we talk about that a little? I knew you just from shows and and mostly from booking shows. So yeah. how did you how did you get started doing that? Um, I uh, basically started showing interest in that when I started going to shows at like Stalag, uh, the church uh, in high school, and once I started getting like kind of more familiar with the scene with those people, uh, I, I kind of wanted to do something myself. In Ben Salem, yeah. it was hard to find anything. So my first show I ever booked was uh, this band called Starman vs. the Amazon from that mm-hmm. wrestling game on Nintendo. They played in my kitchen and uh, some other, uh, maybe it was some other band that played, but I've had probably a good five to six shows in my yard or in my house. I remember just showing up to your house randomly one time. There was like this two-piece band playing and I was like, oh. Yeah, that was Starman vs. the Amazon. I was at that, yeah. I, okay, I, saw so, Neil per- I saw Neil Perry in your kitchen. Neil Perry was in the kitchen. Audience One's played in the kitchen. This Day yep. Ford has played in the kitchen. Pray for Rain has played in the kitchen. Oh, Bruce wow. Knight played rain. in my backyard. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've, I, I just like, I like doing it. And then there was a church in Ben Salem on Humeville Road called Sini from his church. And yes. I went and I did a benefit for uh, Jason and Senna who died in a boiler explosion or a furnace explosion accident. He was, he was a singer of that band, Life Sick Life. So he, oh, right. saved, yeah. he saved the other three dudes, and he fucking he died in that fucking furnace. So I did a benefit show for, for the family. You mm-hmm. know, and this, this is where I met um, you know, his wife, which is uh, brothers of uh, Mike Malin, who's like a big drone dude now out west. But um, he, he had a shirt company uh, out here, a screen printing company called old school productions anyway um ended up meeting that whole family and we raised like fifteen hundred dollars the church basically gave me all their concession money to give to the family oh my god you know it, it was unreal every band that played played for free days away played it i think this day forward played it i believe audience of one played this with jd playing drums yes uh fallen deaf ears played this um, was, was that a, the one Blue Skies Fade played as well? Blue Skies Fade played it as well. There, there was a lot of fucking people there. And my dad, yeah. my dad and his buddy actually ran the door for me while I was able to like go and make sure everything was like cool in the venue, you know, like. Oh, was that when you rented all the Viking stuff to do bloodbath? But we, we went over time <laughs> and 
the legendary bloodbath did not get to perform. Yes, yes. And then the, <laughs> the only bloodbath set I believe we ever played was at the Yardley Fire Hall. Right. Yeah, that, that's another thing. We would conceive these bands. We did one. And it, what was it called? Uh, Geronimo. Geronimo was a good one, too. Oh, wait, wait. Was, was that Ger- Geronimo there? Yeah, no, that was at the Yardley Fire Hall. And Geronimo I was, was Yardley on, Fire Hall. Bloodbath was I at was the Sadie from Church. Book. Keith Goodwin was in it. We covered the Converge Breakdown in uh, Saddest Day. The dun, 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 we had that keyboard <laughs> that made the weird sounds, the bird sounds. Yeah. And stuff. What was that, was like a, that was like a huge deal because... Like you were mentioning earlier, like I, I wanted to be in a band so bad. Like you sang. I, I, and I, yeah, and I, I, I didn't play any instruments at the time. So I, my, my goal was to become a singer in a band. And like, like you mentioned, you were in your room practicing screaming. I would drive around yeah, and play records at full volume and like practice screaming because I'm like waiting for my big break, like when I'm finally going to get into band. So when, <laughs> I, when I got to do that, that was like a huge deal for me. I just, if so, anybody that doesn't understand, so Bloodbath is one of those things that it was a joke that the almighty Bloodbath. What what was it? The almighty Bloodbath. The almighty Bloodbath. So, (laughs) one of the things I do recall at when this show did happen, either you or JD walked up to me and handed me a two liter that was full of red corn syrup and like Sprite or something like that. And you were like, throw this on the crowd when we start playing. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, "What?" And they're like, "That's the whole thing is we throw blood at everybody." I was like, "Uh, all right." And then handed me something. I don't remember what it was, like a Yoda mask or something ridiculous like that. And they're like, "You have to wear this too." I was like, "Uh, we're so gonna get fucking kicked out of this place. We're gonna yeah, get in trouble." I remember Bob loading in all this stuff. There was like lights and Viking helmets and swords and. <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you always I, conceived like these these grandiose like you know one 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 show joke bands that that we could do. Or yeah, no, I had some good ones. I had some good ones. What was yeah. the one? If there was something that I thought was hilarious one time, and I remember being like, oh, I'm so bummed that I wasn't a part of it." I think it was uh, Bob. I think it was you and JD had the idea that like in I don't know March or April, you were just like, "Oh, let's let's go down the shore," and you oh guys just packed your shit up and fucking went down the shore. Like, and we got down there at night. We stole a couch out of the trash and put it on the beach, and we sat on the couch. Wow. <laughs> and we yeah, definitely we were, we were all too exhausted to drive home, so we were like, oh, let's just try to take a nap. And then it was just <laughs> the most painful ride home. That was like the craziest thing you could do when you were like 16, 17, 18. It would be like 9 o'clock at night. We'd be like, let's drive to the beach. We'd be like, yeah, and then you would go and do it. Just you, go get, you get down there, you're like, man, this is awesome. And then you're like, fuck, i got to drive home. Shit. <laughs> Sorry, so we're booking shows in Bucks County. Now, that is that is one of the reasons we wanted to do this podcast because the the amount of crazy good shows that we had in Bucks County is just crazy. Like all the legendary bands that came through between you booking them and Pat booking them and whoever else did them. Like it was a real microcosm of, you know, unique bands and shows happening in that time. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. It was we we were lucky, you know. I mean, like I said, I just had that attitude that I wanted to book, you know. And I did once I did the St. Ephraim's Church show, then I found Palanca Park, you know. And then I think the first show I ever did there was Saves the Day, Boy Sets Fire, Reach the Sky, uh, Blue Skies Fade, and Trading Places. Wow. And then um, I think I did another show with like you and I, Try Fail Try, Audience of One, This Day Forward, 
And they were like my two bangers, like right back to back. Yes. And then you yeah. and I at that time was like a big deal because like no one ever really saw anything that technical and emotional, you know, and everyone was just like fucking losing their minds over them. I, I remember that. Uh, I mean, after that, it was just, where can I find a venue to book at? And in Bucks County, I mean, the Levittown Methodist Church or whatever that was that the Pat yeah. you know, put a lot of shows out. Faith Reformed Church. Faith, Faith Reform Church. So yeah. I, I had the first meeting there with them. I booked the first show there with them. I went into all these rooms that never did shit like this before. And I, I just had a gift of gab where I could yeah. make that person feel so fucking comfortable around me and with me and allowing me to do this that I, I, I the sky was the limit at that point. Um, especially there, there, when you, you frame it as like, Hey, we're a bunch of straight edge kids coming in to have a good time. Yeah. And, and that's what I basically, what I, what I was saying. And at the time, I mean, I was still straight edge, even when I was starting to like, you know, get into like drinking and smoking, that was still always my thing was like, you know, I, I'm not here to promote like, you know, people getting fucked up and drugs and, and, and people fucking out in the parking lot. I, I wouldn't say that, but uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm here to basically like give, give these kids in this area, like something to do. So from there, you know, um, I, I always had contact with like the Courier Times for some reason. I, I was good friends with that Andy McDonald guy or whatever his name was that did the reality section in the uh, newspaper. Andy Ginsberg. Okay. So he did the reality section. So I would, you know, either call him or, you know, email him something and I would tell him about these shows that I'm doing. So then, you know, he would start actually putting them in newspapers with, with like my email address or with my phone number on there, but like I had a cell phone. And I, dude, I just started getting blown up by like all these area bands, you know, bands from like Doylestown that wanted to come down here. And, you know, it was like a vice versa thing. Then, you know, me meeting these kids and all of a sudden we're playing up in like Lansdale and we're playing in Doylestown. And, you know, it, it was just one of those, you, you, I, 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 I had a good way of making friends. I had a good way of making a lot of connections. And I found a lot of rooms in this area that got fucked up from people going in there. And just being stupid in the room, booking stupid shows in that room, you know, like, like, you know, no, not having the right supervision there, you know, like, and you have a kid in high school booking a show. And, you know, when, when I was young, I would always have my dad at the front door, you know, because I know like no one was going to like say, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I, yeah, my dad would make you pay. Okay. So <laughs> he, he was six, four, three fifty, you know, you're paying the five, yeah. five, eight bucks that it was, you know, but it, it just, I found rooms. I, I, it just made sense to me and it was just a good thing. I, I, I was really lucky. I mean, I hooked up with Siren Records, you know, right when a life once lost was starting to kind of wind down. And I spent a good three year, three years there booking shows, anything oh. from Dillinger Escape Plan and Siren, Siren Records or Circus Survive or Madball at the Doolstown Moose Lodge. Oh. Fuck. I, I booked Lamb of God twice at the Palanca Park. Do you, you know remember? Do you remember the oh. first time you booked a show at Siren? And it's when they had that new, when they had the new place and I had the stage in the corner. Yeah. And did you prepare Blair? Like, did he know what was going to happen? Or was he like, hey, we have to do this? Or like, we want to make sure we move things out of the way. Or was it like, let's see what happens? And um, he, I think he kind of had an idea what to expect, but just not what to expect. You know what I mean? <laughs> um. I feel really bad because he gave me a fucking amazing opportunity and I was still like touring, you know what I mean? So now I got my computer with my, my USB and I, I'm here booking shows still because what, what I was doing was I was bringing people into the store. 
people would come into the store, you know, Siren would take a cut of the door. You know, the rest would usually go to the bands, pay the staff like 20, 30 bucks. And then, you know, those kids that are there playing shows end up buying records and Blair kills it again on record sales. You know, it, it, it was really, really good and just ended up getting a lot of noise complaints on that street. Um, th- there was a show I did there that was the, uh, it was like a Death Wish showcase or something like that. And it was like trash talk, cold world, blacklisted, or maybe they didn't play. I, I forget all the bands that played, but it was like a, it was a sold out show. There was probably like 350 people up in that store and they like, there was some like just real ignorant shit that kids did up there. You know what I mean? Like, like at the show that they would do at a normal venue, but this is a record store. It's not, not the same fucking thing. Like just gotta yeah. be a little bit more careful. You know what I mean? Be mindful of everybody. Even me putting Dylan Drake's skate plan in there. He already knew what to expect at that point. Oh, Christ. Did anything and then, happen at that show? Because their shows are like legendarily crazy. Um, it was, it was fucking wild. It was really, 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 really wild. Uh, they had all the lights going, you know, the strobes mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It was just, it, it was, it was fucking crazy, man. It was fucking crazy. Like it, it was one of those shows that I just like look back on. And I'm like, man, like our, our Philly show got canceled. And I'm like, yo, I can put us up at Siren. And Ben was like, sure, man, let's do it. And I hit up Blair and I'm like, yeah, we're not doing anything. And I'm like, but they got a bus. <laughs> And he's like, I don't like, I don't even know where we're gonna park this thing. And so we end up parking it down in a shopping center down down the road a little bit. So yeah. all those dudes are like in the fucking venue. They're all going out to eat, doing their thing. And the show happens, and shit. We sold it out within like I think twenty four hours notice. That, fucking, it was just mind. it was a mad it was a madhouse, dude. It's a fucking madhouse. For anybody that's not familiar with Doylestown, it is a very upscale, expensive. Um, how do you like what's in a like all the art and architecture in that area is like historically Historic. preserved. Yes, yeah. like it is very much a. It's uh, a lot of uptight white people. Is what we're there. You at. go, Keith. Thank you. Yeah, they got a, they got they have a movie theater there that only has like one or two screens, and it only shows like super artsy shit. I went to go. So Aunt Anthony from Circa Survive lives in Doylestown, and I, I this was years ago. I went. We went to go to the movies, and I was like, "Let's go see a movie." And it was this uh, movie with. Uh, philip seymour hoffman in it It was called uh schenectady new york and i remember about halfway through it being like fuck what is happening with this movie like i shouldn't have gotten fucked up before i came in and then i thought (laughs) for a second i was like wait a minute i didn't get fucked up this movie's just fucking out of control it made no sense it was like all over the place and i walked out and i was like dude did you get that? And he was like, get what? And I'm like, the movie. Did you fucking understand that movie? He's like, oh no, I had no clue what was happening. I was like, what the fuck did we just spend? It was like $15 between the two of us. We could have fucking gotten Indian food. What the fuck, man? Like, but yeah, no, Doyle sounds super fancy. So the, the fact that you guys only got a few noise complaints is like kind of, yeah, every, every show that we, every show that we did, we got a noise complaint, you know, and it, it, just, it just became too much. Go ahead, Keith. How did, how did the noise complaints at Planka Park always end up happening? Because that wasn't that wasn't like next to a no, house. No, no, no. You're talking about the This Day Ford show? Yeah, yeah, now listen to this. Uh, some gentleman sent me, Ed Hewitt, uh, one of our listeners, uh, he sent me, I have a DVD of that final This Day Ford and a Life Once Lost show. Yeah. I have the full set, so I'm going to be putting that up. So oh, thank awesome. you, Ed. For, yeah, thank you, Ed, for that. Now, I was watching... The video back and the whole exchange with the police is on the DVD, which is awesome. I'm, you know, I, I'm going I, 
I remember the it's who he is now the chief uh, or the the head of the fire chief or something like that now or the, the older like, cop seemed like a real dick. Yeah, some bald headed big guy was trying to take my money, and I yeah. kept saying no, and he's like, "Well, do you have a tax ID number?" I'm like, "I don't need one." Yeah, and like that. He's trying to literally like steal my money from me. I'm like, "What the fuck is going on here?" But yeah. what, this is and this is what I don't understand is because there was probably a good like you know, six, 700 people there at that show. You know, there was a lot of people at that show. I had mm -hmm. more, I had 1500 people on an all day festival on a Saturday in the middle of March or mm -hmm. March 1st. Oh, spring um, flag, yeah. And what I did is I went to Stanley and I'm like, I'm like, listen, like, like I want to, I want to double book this. And he's like, okay, he gives me a price. I'm like, cool. Then I, you know, get my sound guy and get that all situated. I, I, I made fucking stages to put in there to extend it out. I, I don't know if mm -hmm. anyone remembers that, but those two extension stages, me and my father made those to make the stage bigger so that bands mm -hmm. could play on a stage. So do all that. I go to all the businesses around them, even, even the, uh, even the temple, the, the, the Tibetan temple that's, oh, next yeah, there's the Buddhist temple there. Yeah. 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 So I go over there, I let them know, I, I got this all day thing going on. They're like, cool, cool, that's fine, that's fine, you know, peace be with you. And I'm, yeah, I'm also with you. Okay, cool. And I roll out to the other places because I, I need parking now. So I go to, you know, the businesses next door. I go over to the township building and mm -hmm. I tell them what I'm doing. And I'm like, listen, I, I'm doing a, a music festival over here tomorrow. I'm going to have some people parking over across the street, you know, in that one parking lot to, you know, because that's more designed. It's, it's a public parking lot. They can park. It's, in grab, it's, it's yeah, not it's a grab a lot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I go there the day before it snowed and I, I shoveled out like two spots. I'm like, fuck this shit. They can just park on the ice. Um, end up like, doing the whole show. And I did not have one complaint except for the fact that lamb of God was partying in Stanley's office behind the stage. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Stanley comes walking in and here's like lamb of God, with maybe like 10 other people in there. So there's like 15, 16 people in there drinking, smoking dope, uh, probably doing other things. I, God knows what the fuck they were doing in there. And he fucking yeah. lost it. Get out of here. And I just start screaming. And I go over there and I'm like, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, everybody, this, and he's like screaming at me in Polish. And I'm, I'm like, stand, relax, relax, relax. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. I'll talk yeah. to you afterwards. Let, let, let's just get through this. I'll talk to you afterwards about it. All right. Just, just go over there and settle down a little bit, okay? Let's steam out, okay? Go, go, go. All right, all right. He, he closed the door. He, everyone gets their stuff out. He locks it. And the show went off without a hook. They, there was a fucking fire breather in there uh, during their set. Some shit wow. during Lamb of God's set. Um, that's a set that Luke does a backflip off the top of the speaker. Oh, shit. That's the one. You know, he start, I remember that specifically because he opens up with a line from Rambo. He goes, it's over, it's Johnny. Over. It's over, Johnny. It might be over, Johnny. And then he just fucking flips off the stage. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, you're like looking at these reactions. I believe that was the show that we played a great artist in its entirety as well. Yeah. Where people were yelling yeah. for us to play like Fourth Plague and, and you know, open your mouth songs. And, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, no. Joan said no. Yeah. Uh, we're just playing. <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a great artist and this is what we're doing. Now. You know so what I mean? Here Let's circle back to A Life Once Lost. Now, you really started to come into your own with the Fourth Plague Flies EP. I went back and listened to that, and there's still some real serious bangers on that. And, you know, we had the lineup change with Bob coming into the fold. So how, how did we decide we're going to shift the sound to what became a great artist? Talk about some of those conversations. 
it wasn't really we 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 wrote a song we wrote a song with TJ. He talked about it. It was actually called The Line Has Come. Mm-hmm. And it was actually slowly progressing into that sound, with, but with keeping that technical in flames, uh, creations, crucifixion influence on us with like that heavy breakdown element, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, um, TJ leaves the band and now we're out of drummer. Uh, yeah. we, t- we try out this kid. He was in this band, the Orion Code. His name was Rob something. And mm-hmm. he was perfect. He was a fucking machine. But he just didn't want to do it. You know, he, he wasn't into touring. He wasn't into, like, making and, like, taking it to that next step. And then um, I, I run into, um, I, I knew Justin from uh, The Now and uh, Neil Perry. Neil Perry, yeah. And then I hit him up. And then, you know, Andy Lowe knows, knows Justin. We called him Bib. Um, so he's like, yeah, man, I'll bring Bib up there, you know. And Bib and Andy come up. You know, we all of us get like stoned and we run through the fourth leg stuff. And he's like, oh, this is easy, you know. And then all of a sudden, Meshuggah just had to really like kind of fuck things up and they put out nothing. Yeah. And then once Doug and I heard nothing, it just really kind of like changed, changed the pace for us a little bit. And he came into the practice with these riffs and it was just like nothing I've ever heard. And you know, it threw everyone off. It threw Carpenter off. It threw Nick off. It threw Justin off. And it took Justin, like, it was weird for Justin to, like, kind of find that groove. But, I mean, as soon as he found it, he, he fucking had it. You know, um, D- Doug was a really tough dude to, to jam with. You know what I mean? Like, Car- Carpenter had the finesse. Doug had a lot of really good ideas. And, and not to say Carpenter didn't either, because... It, it, the, the writing process was very equal between the two of those guys. They, they were very, very key in making that a life once lost, life once lost sound. You yeah. know, B- Bobby, Bobby tracked all the records. You know, his hand, his hand is untouchable. You, you mm-hmm. can't, you can't, as a guitar player, I've never seen anyone with a hand like that besides upper echelon dudes that do it, like, like, like a Frederick Borndale or, yeah. uh, you know, whoever. But yeah, he, he, they came in and man, Doug was like, I want it to be this tempo the whole time. The whole time. And that's where like all these these riffs just and these ideas and the bends, like I mean, we 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 were taking a little bit more of like a like a like a southern approach to it. Because I mean, then again, like Lamb of God and Pantera were also big influences on us as well. And yeah. and Carpenter was always a huge like Swedish metal guy too. And it's nevermore. Bands like fucking uh Queensryche, stuff like that, like it just bands that fuck that sound, uh, Strapping and Lads, shit, man, mm-hmm. just massive influences came into that record, and it, it was just weird, you know. And then it was just it was a really rough ball, and then Hunter came along, and Hunter we worked with producers because that's when we signed with uh, Ferret, so we mm-hmm. worked with uh, Rob Casciano and Eddie Wall. We recorded everything up at Mill Creek, New York, up at Mill Creek Studios, and. um I did all my stuff at a, this place over in Manhattan in, in the Brownstone section of that area, like 54th Street or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would just record in the basement. Me and me and Bobby would just go there and Bobby would do all his like rhythms and he would do all his leads up, up in this other studio. You know, it was just fucking wild. But that's what that's what created like us to be able to learn how to write songs. And then we do Iron Gag. We produce that ourselves. You know, uh, Randy came in and helped me with it with uh, Hunter as well. You know, he changed yeah. my. How did, you, uh, how did you hook up with him? Uh, it was just, I, I knew the whole band. Like, we, we're, we're still like 
we're still like good friends to this day. Um, yeah. Was it from booking them and stuff? Yeah, but booking them. I mean, I, I booked them twice in at the Palanca. I booked them once at yeah. 40 or the Rotunda in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I sang with them uh, on stage at the Troc. I did the Steve Austin part on, on one oh, of their wow. songs. And then I went to a show at Chrome where it was Converge, American Nightmare, Lamb of God, God Forbid. Um, I think Bleeding Through played it and there was maybe somebody else played. And I show up with like Doug and I run right into Chris Adler and he's like, yo, he's like, what's up, man? I'm like, hey, how's it going? And he's like, I'm like, where are the guys at? And he's like, I got a little bit of a problem right now. He's like, do you know any of the songs? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, I mean, like kind of, sort of like, why? What's up? And he's like, oh, he's like, just let me know what you know. And I'll run into you in a second or I'll come grab you in, in a couple minutes. And I'm like, I look at Doug. I'm like, what the fuck was that? Carl Severson <laughs> from Farrah Good Fight comes up to me. And Nora, he comes up to me. He's like, yo, did you hear what happened? And I'm like, no, I, I have no idea what's going on. As he's telling me, Chris Adler walks up and he's like, yo. So we left Randy in Richmond. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like uh, what? And he's like, yeah, we left him in Richmond because we couldn't find him or something. Or we overslept. And I'm like, wow, yeah. that, that's interesting. Uh, what are you guys going to do? Do you want to sing uh, like uh, the first song? And I got all these other guys. Carl's going to sing a song. And Doug's like, yo, let me sing a song. <laughs> there's all this going on. And, and there's all these random dudes around the stage that, that could sing. Yeah. And then I go out there and I forget what fucking song it was. The first song off of uh, New American Gospel. So we go into that. And basically, like, I go over to, like, um, I think Mark Morton. And I'm, I'm like, dude, like, I don't really know any of the words. He's like, Randy doesn't either. Don't worry. Black Label. <laughs> Black Label. Okay. Black Label. Yeah. So we play Black Label. And then I go up to Mark, like I said, and I'm like, Mark, I don't know any of the words. And he's like, it's cool. Randy doesn't either. You just need, you just need to know the syllables. Yeah, pretty and much. So I, yeah. I, I had the idea because I've listened to the record, you know, like, you know, a hundred times before that. You know, I'm yeah. a fan of the band already. They're, they're good friends of mine now from hanging out, playing with them, booking, booking them and stuff. So I go up and I do it and I, I finish and I look over at the side of the stage and like everyone puts their hands up and they're like, you stay out there. And then, <laughs> you know, literally for like a, a solid, like two or three days, they mm-hmm. were thinking about kicking him out of the band just wow. because of that. This is this is like it wasn't even the height of him being all like fucked up. Like there's oh, been many shit. times I believe that like they've been very disappointed with his actions. But yeah, so you know I do end up doing the entire fucking show, and it was just one of the most like fucking and again like another uh, wasn't on my bucket list or, or my my goal list of things to do, but I fucking did it. You know it was sure fucking it wild as shit. That's you know the dream scenario for that. Th- we've talked about this on this show multiple times that you literally, dr- I, at least I literally dream about that in every hardcore show. It's like, you know, oh, singer's not here. We need you. Like that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Like a of fantasies. Yeah. And, and it's like, I'm not making it up. You know what I yeah. mean? And I know there's probably a videotape out there floating around of the set and it's probably, yeah. it's probably horrid. It's probably so bad, but <laughs> I would just love if to see it. Has, if anyone has that tape, it was some Club it. Chrome, South Amboy, New Jersey. It was an XSDB show with American Nightmare, Converge, God Forbid, and I believe Bleeding Through played as well. Well, because the same thing happened to Mike Shaw, like with Shy Halud, and I was at a 108 show, and they needed someone to sing Killer of the Soul, but I, I chickened out. Uh, I wish I wouldn't have. Dude, never. 
Don't be a no man. Uh, Just do it. I, I know, man. I know. Well, wow, that's that's incredible. So when it, once now once a great artist dropped, that was that was a serious shift in sound for you. Did you get a lot of blowback? Because you were just playing that, right? You weren't playing any more old songs at all. I know the first show we did it, and we it was just kind of I think more of just like a punch in the gut for the uh, local scene. Maybe yeah. why we did it, just to say we can do this. But I know when we went back out, we definitely were still playing maybe one or two songs off worth playing, just to keep people interested. But once yeah. we hit a certain point in it, we were just playing nothing but a great artist at that point because it, it was just an, it was an unstoppable force. You know what I mean? Like I, I know Meshuggah's done it, and there's a lot of other bands out there that have done that sound. But yeah, like like you know in this area in the, in the in this east coast area like there wasn't a whole lot of people out there trying to do that no you know? no you were and you were the only band from our area doing that and i understand because mashuga is one of those bands that i periodically become like obsessed with and it's all i listen to for like yeah. weeks and weeks on end it, it's a band i can never honestly get tired of listening to yeah yeah it, it's it's absolute perfection um every record they ever done it's just perfect and you know i'll even go back and listen to some of the earlier stuff you know like the nun ep and it, it's the recording is fucking complete so shit but contradictions collapse oh my that god it's fucking oh, dude there's a couple of songs on there that are just so just go if you haven't listened to contradictions collapse in a long fucking time go back and listen to it like it, it was just, just it was different level the colin french and Seto, he showed me my sugar you know what i mean and <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, 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 he showed me them too. Yeah, I, I talked about it on a Facebook post. I was talking about bands that, when I listen to the record, it brings me back to the first time that I heard it, kind of thing. You know, yeah. so every time I listen to, you know, um, Chaos Fear, it, I think of sitting in Colin's room and him just, you know, playing air guitar, and making these like silly faces, sticking his tongue out and stuff, and <laughs> you know, just like being like, yeah, it's like a heavier version of Corn, and I'm like. I'm like, what? Like, this is Atari. I have no idea what the fuck these guys are doing. You know? <laughs> yeah, but, uh, there, there was. A, we went to a relapse showcase at uh, the TLA, I think, and people were handing out a Meshuga Chaos Fear like two song cassette sampler. Colin was like hyping them, and I, and that's how I first got turned on to them. Yeah, it was just uh, it was a band that I've never I've never heard anyone do anything like that. You right. know what I mean? Like, it's just it's different level of. Uh, uh, of music, uh, of being a musician, you know what I mean? Like the drummer, you know, Thomas Hawk is possibly like one of the sickest drummers out there, you know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, I mean, Morgan Adrian's not a slap himself, but uh, the, the, the band is, the band is just sick. Dude. The band he, is so they sick. Invented that, they invented that style, like that yes. style with like the, okay, so the, you know, the crash and the fucking, uh, snare doing four, four, but like they're literally following the rhythm guitar, like the breakdown with their section. Feet. With their feet, yeah, and, like, and it's an odd, and it's an odd time signature. Yeah, the time signature always there's always poly like it, they they call that like that polyrhythm idea of like there's two rhythms yeah. layered over top of each other. But like that whole thing is just I'd never heard anything like that. Uh, yeah. There was a kid in my high school, actually the original drummer from Audience of One. His name was Evan Madden. Um, Evan showed me uh, Meshuggah, and I remember him being like, "You got to check this song out," and it was Future Breed Machine, and I was like. Oh. At the time, I was like you know, a big like Earth Crisis, yeah. And I heard it. And I was my like, friend, uh, my friend calls that the original alarm clock metal song. 
And I always said that was <laughs> Just how fucking heavy that is, though, the first time you hear that. Like, I remember, I heard that, I know exactly where I was sitting in um, Anthony's car when I heard that the first time. Yeah. yeah. Like, for sure, like, I remember exactly, I was sitting in the passenger seat of Anthony's car, and that kid Evan was like, yo, put this fucking tape in. And we're like, all right, and put it in. And I was like, holy shit. Holy shit. Like, this is, I've never heard anything like this before, and now I'm obsessed. Yeah, it was that just was it, always the, that was always the best thing. Like you know, like when you had the lead on a good band and you're in the car and you're, and you're like, "Yo, yo, put this on." And it, like the crazier it was, like the more cloud you. Oh, Bobby, I, you I, were, Bobby's the king of that. Bob, you I'm, used to Bob used to be like. I remember Bob showed me some one time. He was like, "You got to listen to this band," and I was like, "All right, uh, you, Bob, remember Moiser? Yes, from Germany. Oh, There's yeah. a they put out a they put out a record called Two Hours to Doom." And I remember Bob got a hold of it. I don't remember how he got it or who he got it from, but I remember him being like, you have to hear this band. And I, I remember <laughs> I was like standing in your bedroom being like, what the fuck is this? And you're like, yeah, there's also like 10 people in this band. Like, <laughs> there's like, like three, three, three like, singers. Yes, exactly. It, it was, was a, the they, they, they had a lot of dudes in bands over there that were like legendary, like Acme. Remember oh, Acme? Yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah. Acme was one of those bands. Edison Recordings, I think, put that out. And that, I remember that just that first sample. And I, oh god, it was just crushing. You know, Acme. That that record is an all time classic. All right, so we're talking about. Uh, well, we're talking about how great Acme is. I mean, to reduce <laughs> the choir to one soloist is an all time classic. Record. Yeah, that's like that's like classic rock to me. Like I, I don't know, but I, do you guys listen to any classic rock? I mm-hmm. don't, and it annoys yeah. me. I do. Classic rock to me, like Acme, or like Minor Threat, or like like the, you know, like old Converge, like Caring and Killing, like that's my classic rock at this. Point. <laughs> no, see, I I think this is Bobby. You probably can do this. Bobby and I like have had lots of like job site kind of jobs, like where oh, you're yeah. working with like regular dudes. Ninety four one, ninety three, or one hundred two, one hundred nine, bro. Like that's it's fucking like once you, I start hearing. Like grown men put on one and four five, I start losing my shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you know that's and I grew up like that was like one of my summertime jobs was like I I worked at a shop where I did welding and I remember uh, like that was the thing was like you know this one dude I worked with every day would be like all right so what are we listening to today and like he would go through the CD wallet he would bring a CD wallet from his car and it was like fucking Sabbath Volume Four. Um, like fucking, Led Zeppelin, like Zeppelin, Cream, Cream huge <laughs> Rolling. So remember, so Rolling Stones put out a, a record called Hot Rocks. Yeah, he fucking played that. I never liked the Rolling Stones. I always thought of them as corny when I was younger, and I was like, dude, the fucking Rolling Stones suck, dude. And then yeah. he put on Hot Rocks, and I was like, okay, there's some fucking amazing songs on here. Not only songs yeah. that are like catchy and poppy, but like some fucking darts dark shit dude some yeah. really good really good shit i'm a big blues fan i like the blues a lot you know what i mean yeah. so i can always go back to the blues any all those older bands were like just you know like the rolling stones you know zeppelin i mean the cream they just ripped off all the blues guys yeah but they're all oh, good yeah. don't get me wrong <laughs> i mean that's fucking perfect perfect music you know but there's a dude uh i used to work with that told me this story and i remember him laughing like hysterically when he was telling me but uh when Led Zeppelin came to America the first time, they went to Chicago and they went to this place called the Checkerboard Lounge. And it's like the basically what they, you know, kind of 
think of as like the home of the blues. That's where it kind of grew, like it came from is this place. And uh, the guy on stage starts introducing all the people that are going to play the night. And he's like, oh, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, the man who brought blues to uh, England. Uh, here he is. And it was Jimmy Page. He got the guy on stage goes, here he is, Led Zeppelin. Can you stand up for us, Led? Just for a second. Can you stand up and just give everybody a bow? And Jimmy Page stands up and he's like, hey, how you doing? Like, he really legitimately thought his name was Led Zeppelin. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. Every time that dude told that story, I was cracking up. I was like, at, at, it's just one of those things of like, when you hear like that style of music, you're like an immediate, uh, like the opening to Heartbreaker. Like, it's just, that's fucking rock and roll. It's so good yes. when you're the first. I agree. Led Zeppelin is the one classic rock band who gets a pass from me. I can actually listen to and enjoy them. Not that I do it often, but you know, I dig Pink, them. You don't listen to Pink no, Floyd? No, 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 I don't. I don't. I just don't. Wow. I just don't get down with any of it. Now you know what I do really like the Coles Led Zeppelin record. Now that's uh, classic. Rock that's probably me. why you like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Coalesce yeah, got me. Yeah, Coalesce got you into it. Because there's like, uh, what was that record called? Nothing, nothing new under the sun. That one. Yeah, yeah. it's fucking amazing. So, Bob, tell us about now. You got Life Once Lost was on Ozfest one summer, right? We did a uh, 2005 Sounds of the Underground, the inaugural year, and we did okay. uh, last year of Ozfest 2006. So, tell us about being on Ozfest. Did you see any cool shit going down or? <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, I mean Sounds of the Underground was a little like little bit weirder for us because we weren't in a bus. A lot of bands were in buses, and we were one of maybe like two or three bands that were in a van. So you know, it's it's like it was a lot of like really nasty driving, like thirteen hour trips between shows. So it's like we'd have to leave like right when the show's over. All right, so we would have like there'd be like uh, either Nick. Doug or Bob would do the night drive mm-hmm. or, or we had, we had a roadie who would do the night drive. So whoever, I guess whoever wasn't like trashed by the end of the night, you know, yeah. they would, they would have to drive. All right. Yeah. Or, or it would be just figured like everyone else is getting trashed, but you can have a couple beers, but you can't get trashed. Okay. Now was, was there ever a race to get trashed? With no, 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 no. It, it was, we, we tried to make it communal. And yeah. I, I think at the time I didn't even have a license, but what oh. we, what we would do is we would drive overnight. And um, we had a van where we had uh, like basically four people could sleep in it. So we had a bunk, you know, but we had a oh, bunk you and built. Your, you and your dad built that bunk in the back, right? Yeah. Every every bunk that I ever had, me and him built. And anything that we ever had van wise, like wood in the van, like it was usually typically my dad would help me build it. You know, none of the other guys would ever come over and fucking lend a hand. It was just me and him. We would go and do it, you know. So we're on like van number 15 at this point in our lives. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have, we have a, this van, you know, two seats with a, with this loft, with another loft underneath of it, you know, so, and then we have a trailer. So you put all the gear in the trailer, you know, we just, that's where that was. And then we could all sleep in here. So, mm-hmm. you know, two people could sleep and we had two benches. So two people could sleep in the bench and then underneath the loft, there was, another area where we would put like the luggage and, but you could put like another person, if not two down there to sleep. Yeah. So I would always sleep down there. That would be my spot. I'd go in there. It was like a coffin. It was dark. 
I could just hear the tires going, you know, like it would just lull me to sleep. Wake up in the morning, you know, wake up, walk to the whatever gas station that we were at. I'd go to the bathroom, you know, walk around there, grab like a Red Bull or something, you know, take a shit, roll a joint, <laughs> smoke a joint and get in a van. And I would start driving without a license. And I did this <laughs> every fucking day on that tour pretty much until wow. until somebody else woke up because it would just be it would be so hot in a van if we were just sitting there. You know, it's we're all sweating. It fucking stinks. God knows what kind of diseases were floating around there, like MRSA or fucking, you know, ringworm. So I, I would just start driving. I'd put the windows down, crack the windows for everybody, and I would drive. And those guys would get like a solid like five, six hours of sleep. You know, somebody mm -hmm. would wake up. They would crawl up front with me. You know, I'd end up rolling another. They, they would roll a joint. Then we would stop. You know, everyone would get out. They'd take their shits and pisses. And either I would continue to drive or somebody else would. You know, it, it was just it was we all took our turns to make it easier for everybody else as much as we could. I know we all butted heads, but what friends don't butt heads? Yeah, do you miss it? Do you miss it? Uh, I miss the performance aspect of it. I miss being able to play in front of people. When I watch videos of like, you know, uh, like Devin Townsend playing in front of, you know, 70, 80,000 people and just wishing I had that chance to touch something like that. Um, I, there's countries I wish I got a chance to play in. Um, you know, it, it was... There, there's there's not a whole lot of regret doing what I do now, but yes, I do miss it at the end of the day. Do, do, uh, I remember, so this is just one of those ones that I remember telling my mom and my mom laughed at me and she was just like, so really what's going on? I was like, mommy, uh, fucking A Life Once Lost is going to play in Russia. And she started laughing. She was like, yeah, so really? Yeah, they're going to get their visas and get over there? And I was like, no, no, they're really, they're going to play there. Can you tell us just a little bit about being there? Um, well, what happened was I'll give you like the whole gist of like how we ended up like getting a chance to go there. So we're, yeah. we're on tour right now with high on fire and saviors for about two months. All right. We have a two month long fucking run with them. And, uh, it was fucking pretty awesome. I think intranaut was on some of them dates. Car bomb was on some of the dates. Uh, wake was on some of the dates. So it, it was cool. And right about in the beginning, maybe second weekend, we get an invite because one of the bands had to drop off this Himza tour that was going to Europe. So we're like, fuck yeah, we'll do it. And they're like, there's one thing, like you guys got to get your visas to go to Russia. Cause there's two shows in Russia. There's a Russia, there's a show in St. Petersburg. Then you take a night train to Moscow and you got that show. And we're like, wow. Oh, okay. That's kind of cool. So yeah. we, um, our bass player at the time, uh, we, we, Nick wasn't in the band. We were just using filling dudes. We were using uh, this kid, Evan Borden, who played in, who plays in Ethios now, who was in Animosity. Uh, he was out jamming with us for a little while. Uh, we ended up picking up Nick Hale and, um, uh, from the band Premonitions of War. He was also a filling guy for uh, Burnt by the Sun. Uh, became a really, really good friend of mine, you know, really, really quick. Uh, so we finished this U.S. tour. We're in, now we're in LA and we're getting ready to fly out to Europe. You know, we got all our visas straightened out. Everything's good. So now we're on the road for two months. We fly to Europe. So we fly from LA to Denver. We meet up with some other, we meet up with the Himsa guys and then we fly out of there into Frankfurt, Germany. And then from there, you know, we get onto our bus, uh, with two, the guys in Two Pure to Die. And, uh, yeah, we just do this fucking month long, six week long fucking tour in fucking Europe. 
Then we end up back in like Hamburg, Germany, fly into St. Petersburg. And we literally flew in. It wasn't like an airport. It was like you flew in and it's like, uh, if you ever been to like Trenton, uh, yeah. airport, um, it's kind of like that. Like you got to walk out onto the, like the actual, like the run walk out of the tarmac. Yeah. Yeah. You're running, you're walking out onto the tarmac. You're not, you're not walking through the fucking tunnel in the air. You walk out and you're beneath the plane and you fucking walk up the stairs to get onto this plane. So we walk down the stairs off, off this plane and there's like fucking two or three dudes there, like ready to meet us. And they're like, Oh, like life on Sloss, Henzo. We're like, Yeah, yeah, what's up, man? They're like, Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so good to have you here. You know, uh, uh, this is going to be awesome. We're just going to take you through all this stuff. And they open up the doors. And as we walk in, it's just like you're, you're in St. Petersburg, like Russia. You know, like you're looking at these people and these old women, like it's very stereotypical of like what a Russian woman looks like. And that's what they look like. And everybody's just staring at us because all of us are just wearing nothing but black. Black pants. I'm wearing fucking flip flops. Fucking black hoodie. I got a fucking like an uh, like one of those Middle Eastern scarves that you put around those real big long scarves that you fold in half a couple times. I'm wearing one of those. You know, I got like long hair. And we go to the first show, and it's fucking weird. It's straight like not a lot of nature, not a lot of green, a lot of gray, a lot of white, a lot of concrete. Uh, they're very fucking, very, very proud country. A lot of monuments to stuff that went on there. So we end up playing a show. Um, there was maybe like 60 people there. It wasn't very good, but we still played. Um, they fed us. Food was fucking shit. Um, but the experience was still awesome. In the middle of the set, me and Doug get into a fight on stage. <laughs> right. what, what was that about? It was about the, the, the monitors were, I guess, were feeding back on my microphone and he didn't like the fact that I kept like fucking now I was doing it on purpose because the, the front of house guy wasn't turning the monitors down on my microphone. So I just kept doing yeah. it on purpose, doing it on purpose, just being an asshole because, you know, sometimes when I played, I was a little bit of an asshole. Yeah. So I'm playing and he comes over and he fucking like kicks me. So I backed up and I do a fucking uh, what's the singer refused? What's his name? Oh, Dennis Lizen, I think. Yeah, Dennis, like a Dennis move, uh, like a James Brown style move. Take the microphone yeah. and I start swinging it. But in my left <laughs> hand, I had it choked. I don't think he saw that. And I fucking took it and I flung it right at his face. Ooh. And I fucking grabbed it, pulled it back real fast. Whoa. And now, and now we're like getting ready to go at it. We get into the backstage area and we're fucking going at it, like screaming at each other, like, Fuck you, fuck this, fuck you. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna kick your yeah. ass. No, you're not. Okay. We it ends up blowing over. Yeah. So now we're like wrapping everything up in, in this fucking venue. Um we have army bags full of our American merch that we bring over. We just put them in army bags and that's our check-in. Mm-hmm. You know, so that way we don't have to pay like uh European rates for merchandise. So now we're yeah. making even more money on what we're selling it at. So we take we we're on our way to the night train. And we're late. And now we're running down the fucking, the, the, down this, um, the, the, uh, platform trying to catch up to this train. Or else we're going to be left in St. Petersburg and we're not going to make the show in Moscow. So I, I remember having, you know, like a bag on my back, my personal bag on my front and carrying two merch bags and literally running down the platform. And it was like a scene out of like a league of their own. You know, when, when 
uh, Gina Davis comes up in there and she grabs Kit and throws the bag up, throws that thing in there, grabs a sister, throws her up in there. You know, like we were literally like throwing things in there, like handing guitars and it was like a train to get everything in there. And we almost missed the night train. So oh night train, God. night train takes about 10 hours. Wow. Up, and now we end up at Moscow or, or six, might have been eight. I, I don't know. It was just a long time. We're sharing yeah. me and my, our, our merch guy, Lou. Um, and sh- we're sharing a sleeper car with these two other people. And we're talking back and forth with this fucking Russian soldiers underneath me. I didn't know. And he stands up and looks at me. He's like, shh. And he, <laughs> he goes and lays back down. And I'm like, what the fuck was that? I'm like, oh, this is not good. This is not good. Wow. And we finally get there. Okay. And it's early in the morning. We're all fucking tired. No one really fucking slept. And first thing we do is they take us to get food. And then after that, they took us around fucking Moscow. They took us to Red Square. Like mm-hmm. we saw the KGB, we saw the Krem, you know, we, we we were standing in an area that there was a vicious genocide happened and the streets were red with fucking human blood, you know, like this is a fucked up place that we're standing in. The fucking yeah. left graves over there with his body that's, you know, there. It's fucking weird, man. It's fucking weird. And, you know, there's people telling us like they've had family members go into the KGB building that have never come back out of that KGB building. That's yeah, well, it's fucking weird over there, okay? Um, so, you know, we end up getting to the venue, um, and we're fucking just, like, rapping. We're chilling with people. There's a McDonald's right next door. There's stray dogs <laughs> everywhere, you know? And they're, like, they're like kind of aggressive, like, when you're eating, like, kind of, like, like monkeys in other countries and, like, seagulls down the shore where, like, you're eating a French fry and it swoops down and grabs yeah. your French fry. You know, it's yeah. kind of like that. Like, I'm eating a chicken nugget from a Russian McDonald's. And here comes a dog. I'm about to put it in my mouth. And he comes up and literally like just took it right out of my hand. You know, I was like, oh, well, yeah. I guess you were hungry. I, I guess I'm not either. Okay. Bob, I um, think that was karma because Mike Shaw and I have this old joke where we, we'd be at the Blue Fountain Diner and he would always order chicken fingers. And, and you'd always be like, oh, uh, can I get one of those? And then uh, he'd be like, yeah. And then you'd take one. So see how it all came full circle? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, probably everything comes back in full circle. So, so we end up playing the show. Um, the show is fucking insane. There's probably like a good, like 250 people there, uh, by like near the end of it, they're chanting a life once lost. They're, they're carrying me around on their shoulders and shit. Like, like it it was just, yeah, yeah. It was was like Anna Rudy. Like they literally like, they carried me around, you know? And, uh, afterwards, like we're talking, we're like shooting a shit. Um, there's this kid from uh, London there. He's studying film over there. And uh, he comes up to me with a bottle of vodka. And me and, and uh, I think it was it was either Justin or it was Nick. And um, we're sitting there and, and going back and forth. He brings up. He's like, oh, it's so nice to be able to like speak English. Like not everyone around here like like appreciates the, like the language. And they, they kind of look down on the fact that like my Russian's not very good. Yada yada. We start yeah. drinking this. And these two fucking Russian dudes that were at the show come out. And they're like, they start talking to us and the bottle of vodka gets to this Russian guy and he looks at it, takes it, throws it over his shoulder, crashes. This kid <laughs> from London is like, dude, like, you know how much that cost me? And he's like, I'll replace it. I'll get you better vodka. But that's, that's trash. He goes over to this like little like Mart thing right on the street, buys mm-hmm. a bottle of vodka right out of there, comes back over. He drinks it. He gives it to me. He's like, 
uh, uh, Nostrova, the, the cheers for Russian. He's like, Nostrova. And I drink it. And I'm like having a very hard time swallowing this because it's like straight peppered vodka. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, what is this? And I'm like, here, if I can hand it to fucking whoever was next to me, everybody drinks it. He drinks it and he like holds it up and he chugs it. Oh my God. And like, like half the bottle. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And he's like, good, right? Then he fucking punches me in my fucking chest. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah it's real good, dude. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm like hurting now. I'm like, I'm like, this is fucking going to be that bad. So promoter comes out, all, all the bands are out, all of our merchant gear are outside now. And he starts fucking waving his hand at the curb. And he, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these like 19, like 70, 80 Mercedes, BMW diesels come whipping over to us. And he starts speaking in Russian. And I'm like, I'm not getting in there. And he's like, it's cool. I'll get in there with you. And I'm like, okay, okay. And he's like, these are gypsy taxi guys. Like, they just do this at night to make extra money. So here, he sets up like a series of between us and Himza to get us back to this house that we're spending the night at. There's probably like six, seven like gypsy taxi drivers took us all right to this house. Who knows if one of these guys just would have kidnapped one of us and just taken it somewhere (laughs) else, you know? End up at this house. You know, the party a little more, end up, everyone ends up passing out. Now we fly out of Russia, back to, to Frankfurt, Germany. Fly yeah. out of Frankfurt, Germany. We were there for two or three days. Fly out to L.A. to pick up our van and trailer. Now we got our, we're flying out to L.A., but we land in D.C. first, all right? Get on another mm-hmm. plane. Fly there from D.C. to L.A. Get off the plane. Now we got to catch a cab all the way down to where we parked our van at some kid's house. Yeah. Get in our van. And then we start driving and we Ugh. drove all the way across country. So, I mean, oh, we're, we're, we, we were out on the road for probably a good four months straight. Yeah. Without a break. Like besides like a little random day off in between kind of things. But yeah, yeah. it was just one of those, yeah. like that was not, and ru- playing Russia was not on my bucket list. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. It was not on that my was goal not list. on your goal list. No, it was <laughs> not. You know, go, going to like Europe and stuff was, you know, I, I didn't think that was possible. You know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't think at all I would have ever had a chance of going there, you know, but I went. It was That's sick. awesome, though. I mean, yeah, I, some of the best times I was out on a couple tours with this day forward and just driving across the country. And I imagine being in Europe and Russia is just like really awesome stuff to get to experience. Yeah, it's it's the scenery in the U.S. I mean. I always tell people like start here where you're traveling. Like the, the this this country is is the, the the just just the areas that you can hit. You can be, you know, it's snowing one day in Flagstaff, Arizona, and then all of a sudden you pass over this this pass of the Rockies, and it's a straight fucking desert on the other yeah. side of the fucking mountains. Like the ecosystem that that our country contains is so fucking unique within itself that you you will literally hit the plains. Uh, of the Midwest to the Rocky mountains and going over donors pass into California and going down the Pacific coast highway and, and, you know, cruising through the mountains. And it was always a big thing with the life on Sloss is like, like we, we considered ourselves to be gypsies after 2005. Um, it was just our mindset was that we would just do everything or, or try to do as much as ourselves as we could. So let's have fun with this. Like we're seeing stuff. Okay. Let's go to a watering hole. Let, let's go to somewhere where we can like do some crazy fucking rock jumps. Let's go yeah. find a fucking like a, a river that we can like kind of like stroll down. Let's go find these like 
met like these these rocks that are carved out through like you know thousands and thousands of years of like water just rolling through them and now they've just made these rock slides you know like we we dude it's a fucking vacation you treat it like a vacation it's life isn't serious all the time like once i started taking it serious and making it more business oriented that's when it stopped becoming fun that's when it became a job you know what i mean like we stopped working for ourselves and we are working for a reason to be able to support ourselves because this is our profession yeah so once uh once iron gag came out that was uh that was the last record on ferret right yes yeah yeah so I remember there was like a a, hi, a hiatus after that. Were you guys broken up or were you just taking some time off? I don't really remember. Um, I think we were just taking time off. I think that's uh, after Iron Gag. Um, I mean, Nick left after uh, Hunter. Uh, mm-hmm. He went on to become a steam fitter. Um, Justin and Bobby both left um, after Iron Gag. Uh, they're, that's they're when Vex is now. Yeah, now they they play in Vexes, and I I heard a Vexes demo last night. That's just it, it's like a it's like a, a life once lost, uh, Alice in Chains, uh, like a Deftones kind of vibe to it. It's fucking yeah. It's really 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 good, really good. Uh, he I, I got to hear one song of it last night, so it was it was cool. Um, but uh, then we went on when we had to find a, a drummer. Um, that's where um. Jordan Krause came into effect. Uh, we needed a bass player. That's where Mike Sabala came into the mix. Uh, we had a lot of other random, like, uh, guitar players came in, a uh, Taylor Madison, uh, a uh, John Roth. Um, and everyone just, it didn't, they weren't vibing well with, with our mix of our sense of humor of our, like, tightness of what me and Doug were. Okay. Yeah. So it was always like me and Doug were now the backbones. We, we were, we were the guys still pushing this forward. Um, yeah, we, we, we write, we write a record and we scrap it because I just didn't believe in it. It, it was basically, it sounded like it was going more in a direction of, uh, of what ecstatic vision is right now, what Doug does. And, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't something that I was totally 100% vibing with because we took the element of what a life on sauce was and changed yet again on another record. You know, we're, we're not gaining fans at this point. We're losing fans and it's hard to regain people that have already like forgot about you after the fourth plague or already forgot about you after Hunter. So we, we have a little sit down, me and him. And, you know, we say, we're going to do this. Let's do this. And and I want you to make it fucking heavy. I want you to, you know, do what, do what you want to do with this drone. And I mean, I'm already listening to like, to Krautrock like stuff and, and all that, the progressive stuff that came out of, you know, England back in the sixties and the seventies, a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the Japanese blues scene and the South American psych scene, you know, like I'm everywhere musically at this point. I'm not listening to metal. I'm not listening to hardcore and any hardcore I'm listening to is like fast pissed, really like ignorant, like, like California love, trash talk, hatred surge, um, like pig destroyer, uh, Meshuggah cannibal corpse, like ignorant metal stuff I'm listening to. But now yeah. I'm experimenting. I'm getting into like that drone raga, like Indian, like, uh, stuff uh and it's just blowing my mind and, and that's when we started to maybe incorporate a little bit of like we took a little bit of that great artist aspect again made it all at one tempo but let's drone it the fuck out so yeah. i mean doug doug brings down his leslie with his with the his organ. hammond organ Fucking and heavy. it's we have a lot of the organ on the on ecstatic trance um 
you know, it's another record that we just did ourselves, you know, like now, now I think it's one of your best. I, that's the record I go back to all the time still. And I, I remember Doug, right. I remember hearing that whole thing being written because I lived because you were living in in that house. house. Yeah. Yeah, With Doug and you live there too. And I, I just remember hearing it all come together and then seeing, seeing it live, seeing those new songs live and then seeing that run of shows at KFN and seeing it all in person was, was just awesome. Yeah. I mean, at that point we have, um, we have uh, Chris Way, who's playing with us. I call him Hammerfist. Um, yeah. Uh, he's he's playing with us bass now. He's a fucking sick guitar player. He just picked it up naturally. You know, and we just do that run. And, you know, we had some really good shows. And we had some shows that were questionable. But to me, like, I start, I was losing interest in it. And then, yeah. I mean, uh, some other, like, nonsense happened between, uh, between me and uh, Jordan. And um, he, he leaves the band. And then at this point... Yeah. We've literally like we've exhausted like every fucking option. I remember sitting on the fucking the step at the Survivor House and just saying, "Dude, I think I think this is done. I, I don't yeah. think there's anywhere else we can go." And he's like, "Dude, this we, this can't be it." And I'm like, "I'm like, dude, I'm not like I, I think I want to start a, try to start a family or something, or I want to try to settle down a little bit. I think like me living this way isn't good for my emotions, my psyche." Um, I'm just I'm falling apart like th- at this point I'm being blacklisted as a promoter you know um so I, I it's hard for me to book shows so now I've lost that I'm losing my music I'm losing everything and depression is just slowly 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 just setting in yeah you know and and you know and I'm still working you know I'm still like fucking doing stuff I'm I'm living out of my own in Bristol and I had a fucking really like fucking rough night one night man and and just I felt like I I've done everything I'm going to do and I'm not going to do anything more. And I fucking try killing myself and I spent a fucking week in a fucking mental institution oh. and uh, it was just fucking brutal. And they, they kept just trying to push meds on me. They're like, this medication is going to make you better, but it might cost you to be more depressed. No, I'm cool. I don't need that. I'm cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like I, I have the medicine that I use every day and, and I'm fine. And, and I still have these fucking thoughts and, I mean, these thoughts have existed since I've been 17 years old, 18 years old. Uh, and I've, I've tried it multiple times and it's, it's, it's fucking brutal and it's scary and I'm still here and, and I live with it every fucking day and it's a hard thing to fucking talk about. And I, I know that people every day and they always say this, I'm always here for you. I'm always here to talk, but you don't know what I'm going through right yeah. now. And that's why well, I don't talk to people because if I tell you them what's in my head, a lot of the times it scares fucking people it's off. Too, and, it's too much for some people. I think that's the thing is like, people are like, like they love to say that like, Hey, yeah, yeah, I'm here for you. And it's like, all right, well let's fucking FaceTime. Okay. Let's oh, do this well, not, right now. Not, and then, not you, today, yeah, no, not today, man. No, yeah, uh, I'm busy. Yeah. Uh, it's that. Okay. I, know, I realize your life's busy and, and that's cool. But I mean, what if that time is the time that I actually needed you and you couldn't do that. And I actually went through with that. Yeah. Let me say this. Let me say this. Now, one, Bob, I am glad you're still here. And two, yes, it's it's so hard. What now? What most people don't realize, it's so hard to talk about this stuff because when you're struggling, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know. And getting getting the right help is such work. 
you have to, it's trial and error. You have to try various methods. You have to try various people. You, it's, it's hard. So, and when you're putting all that effort into trying to better yourself and coming up with nothing, you're like, what the fuck is the point? Like, why, why am I even doing this? So yes, normal ass people are not the people to contact. Uh, you got to find your, your fucked up community. You gotta, yeah. Yeah. There's, 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 there's somebody, no, there's somebody else out there yeah. that you can talk to, that you can speak to and that you guys can fly off of each other. You know what? Uh, yeah. Let me say this. I, I too have had many struggles, which which I think you're aware of, Bob. Yeah. And really, I, I've tried medicine and, and relationships and moving and all that kind of bullshit, and it, it didn't work for me. What, what really worked for me was finding what I was missing in my life was people. I, I had created a life where all I did was go to work and go home and, and get high and, and watch TV. And it, it was just a fantasy life where I didn't have to deal with anybody or see anybody because I was so afraid of being hurt or having to deal with anything that I just, I completely took that off the table. You know, it, I'm just, it's just not something I'm going to do. So really the answer for me was finding people and community and like, you know, that, that, that spiritual connection through people and just, just talking to people in general, like yeah. that, that, yeah. that was what was missing for me. So I, whatever, whatever that ends up being for whoever that that's, that's what I recommend for people. And slowly I was able to like crawl out of the darkness and start to trust people again. And now I have like more people to talk to than I can even keep up with. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I just a, put that out there as a, as a, I don't know if it can help you or anybody else. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. trust thing is probably one of the biggest things, you right. know what I mean? And, and even sitting down with like a psychiatrist, like it, it's, yeah. I, I don't like it um, at all. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's a very like, and, 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 but don't, don't get me wrong. This is just my personal opinion on it because I know out there, there's somebody listening to this, that a psychiatrist has actually helped them. I'm sure. See, I have, I'm I've never met that psychiatrist that saves their life, but it, for your experience, it doesn't it, work. Yes. Yeah. And it, it is what work. it is. Like, I think that's one of those things that, uh, like, I can't speak to, like, I've never had, I mean, I've had things that are tragic in my life. Like, my father passed away when I was younger and stuff, but um, I, I've never really had serious bouts of, like, I, I've heard people describe their depression before and then talk about how they felt. And I can, I can't ever relate to it. I, I've had days where I'm down and I feel shitty, but, I, I always think back to like, I know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Like there's something there that I'm like, all right, well, I'm working towards this or like I'm able to talk myself into it. I think that's the thing what people don't understand with especially something like depression is that it, it's most people have never when they're like, oh, I'm depressed. You are not clinically depressed. Like it's the yeah. same way when people say, oh, I'm OCD about that. No, you fucking aren't. Like, have you ever seen <laughs> someone with real obsessive compulsive disorder? Like uh, I, I had a student, weird, uh, dude, I had a student years ago that, uh, washed his hands obsessively and legitimately, um, had to go to like dermatologists to like, he would have to wear gloves during the day. Like, because this kid was washing his hands. Can you imagine doing something that you know is wrong and hurting yourself? Oh, yeah. And like washing your hands and his hands were like bloody raw and he would still fucking wash them with the hottest fucking water. You would see him in the bathroom. You're like, what are you so doing? Like burns in his hands. Yeah. I can't. So that's where I think that that's where the disconnect is. So that's when, whenever Bobby texts me and it's like, yeah, you want to FaceTime? I'm like, yes, immediately. <laughs> I'll fucking, the other thing yeah. is, and I think this is something that I haven't gotten into with like, but like 
whenever there's anything that's I've needed anything, Bob has been someone that has been a constant supporter. I can remember, and I was telling Bob this story last night, and he was like, oh, shit, I remember this. Uh, I think Bob booked a show at Kung Fu Necktie. I don't know if it was a Life Once Lost was playing it or what, why I was there, but I know Bob was there. And I had way too much to drink. I had partied way too hard on the way there. And I remember seeing him and he was like, yo, you all right? And I was like, no, I'm not cool. Bob, <laughs> Bob kicked this dude out of the booth and was like, my friend needs to sit down, get the fuck out of here. And literally sat down, got me water, got me something to eat. Like literally was like, dude, I'll take care of you. I got you. And I had not seen, and I'm not exaggerating at this point. I probably hadn't seen Bob in a year, but instantaneously he was like, I got you. I had a tree fall down in my fucking uh, front yard. What was that, Bobby? Three weeks ago? Yeah. As soon as he saw it, I posted a picture on Instagram. He was like, yo, I'll fucking come and clean that up tomorrow. Like, within 10 minutes, he was texting me. He's like, yo, me and my boy will come by and we'll, we'll fucking scope it out. We'll clean it up. Luckily, I had neighbors that were fucking, like, we had, they, were cha- like they were chainsaw eager. Dude, eager they were so hype on it. Older dudes with chainsaws, are like, because they don't really get to use them. They spent fucking $350 on these things and they're sitting in their garage. They, as soon as they yeah. see the opportunity to use it, these dudes were like, yo, let's fucking, let's go cut this dude's tree up. But Tommy, you realize that one day that's going to be you. A hundred percent. I I, I have immediate. I am. I. It's really funny. Is like, but the other thing is with Bobby though. Like, it, Bob's always been like uh, when I was on the phone with him the other night. It's like, uh, you're right. And I was like, yo, I'm sorry. I'm staring at. We're like FaceTiming, and I'm staring at the text message from my wife. We're trying to sleep train the baby, and the baby is up and screaming. And, it, and my wife's like. All right, the one girl's up, like my one daughter's up and she's in the bathroom and she needs help. And the other one is literally like seven months old and screaming. Bobby's like, go, do we got to do, man? Take care of your family. I got you. Like, we'll, we'll pick this back up, like, you know, when we can. But I think that's one of the things that like our relationship has always been like, you have always been like an older brother. Like you always looked out for me. You always took care of me when shit went wrong. I kicked somebody in the face at uh, the kill time. And I did not know the person I kicked in the face was someone very, very dangerous. Yes. That was his girlfriend. And Bob took up for me immediately. He was like, Oh, that's my boy. He's just, you, you guys all dance hard. He was dancing hard as fuck. They, like just chill out. It was an accident. Shit happens. He'll come over. He'll shake hands. It'll be fine. Like, fuck it. I had Bob not been there. I absolutely would have gotten stabbed. For sure, like those guys were fucking so furious. Um, I had I had a lot of respect back in the day because of who I was and yeah. the people that I knew. You the know what I mean? And, and, sure. I, and I and I I treated everyone the way that they treated me. So if you treated me like a piece of shit, or if you talked bad about me or something like that, then you know you can consider it to be just one of those things. Like I might not help you next time, kind of yeah. vibe. And and I mean, even at the kill time, like doing shows back there, you know. I, I, I put, I, I, I was doing some fucking wild things. Shit. The, that was one of Poison the Well put out opposite of December. That was their first show in Philly. Uh, since they let other, other singer go, they used to have two singers back in the day. So, so here they are and they're playing. And, uh, this day forward, I believe played that Joshua for battle played that. Uh, it was one of their, somebody's record release show. And that was the state some, courts, yeah. Okay, so some kid had a seizure 
in the middle of the kill time. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, me being like, uh, I was like a lifeguard. So I have like some kind of like first aid knowledge. Like the first thing I do is I grab a piece of paper and the kid pissed himself. You know what I mean? But I just wanted to make sure like it was piss and wasn't blood. You know, so I dip it down on that fucking little fluid on the ground. It's piss. Okay. And then I'm like, I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's do this. We got to get space for this kid. So everyone again, like work with me. We gave space. And there were 600 fucking people in this fucking, in the kill time and totally yeah. illegal. 100% to the bone, <laughs> <Okay>. illegal. <laughs> and here come paramedics and cops walking in and they're just looking around. And, and I, I was in the middle of them and I heard him saying, what the fuck is going on here? And I'm like, I'm like, oh, we're just, you know, there's a bunch of kids. We're here watching music. You know, no one's drinking. No one's doing anything. We're, we're all good here. We're all good here. It's like, all right, all right. I'm like, what's, what's, what's the problem? And I'm like, a kid had a seizure. You know, we got to get him out of here. And we're like, okay, let's do this. And the, what's the easiest way? This way. All right. Boom. In, get the kid, kids out. All right. Show goes on. But it was just one of those things. It was, if, if someone, shit, I did a show at Plankett Park and I know exactly who hit this kid. I don't know yeah. who the kid was. Oh my God. But he hit him with a garden hoe, a three pronged garden hoe in the back of the neck. Oh no. And this that kid was bleeding. That was at the Lime of God show, right? Yeah. I remember no, that. I don't oh, think it was the Lime of God show. I think die, it was at a, a die cast. It, it, yeah. It was, it was like a heavier, like, like, Kind of mashy show. This, this was uh, no, that wasn't a. And it I wasn't was. A, it wasn't a, a garden hoe. It was a dent puller for a car. If you guys are familiar, if you guys look, if you Google dent puller for a car, it's like a three pronged thing that with a big uh, hunk of weight in the middle of it. It's fucking. Yeah, you definitely don't want to get fucking hit with it. No, you don't want to get hit. So this kid's bleeding all over Palanca Park in the bathroom, and here I am, and I walk in, and he thinks I'm one of the kids, and I'm trying to explain to him I'm not. I'm trying to help this kid. You know, yeah. and he's fucking blood is and he's in panic mode. He's going to go into a shock real, real, real quick. And so basically what I do is like, you know, I calm him down, bring him water, get, get some shit on the back of his fucking neck. And his friend was still there. And I grab his friend. I bring his friend in the bathroom. I'm like, listen, this is what we're doing because I don't know where like these kids are. You know, I'm not fucking, I don't need the cops that are right across the street over here right now. So we're not calling the cops. What you're doing is you're putting your boy in his car and you're driving this kid to the hospital right down this road, go straight, go. Yeah. And you could say whatever the fuck happened, but do not bring the police into this, whatever you do, please. They never did. You know, I, I never saw that kid again. I guarantee that kid probably never went to a concert in his life after that. <laughs> yeah. The shows were uh, pretty dangerous back in the day. I remember a big Faith, uh, Church uh, show. Yeah. that That's like a classic, like, uh, you know, just crazy was that the one the ladder got thrown? Yes, yes. Yeah. Ladder was thrown. Is I'm I'm friends with like three or four of those kids now. They're like <laughs> yeah. totally. They have families. You know what I mean? They're like they're like straight up dads. <laughs> they don't yeah. like like it's weird. Like we 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 all could have been what we were younger, but at a certain point in our, in our lives, like our past is is that fucking bad that you have to just change. You know, naturally. Oh, you know, yeah, it yeah. takes time, Good. but there you are. Tommy's an example, dude. I fucking Keith, teach math. You're an example. I teach math for a living to eleven to eleven year olds. Like, if you would have told me in two thousand in ninety nine two thousand fuck two thousand seven, <laughs> if you would have been like, yeah, you're gonna have three kids, you'll have a nice house, you'll have a great job, like you'll have a happy beautiful marriage. wife. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you're gonna be happily like, married. Everything. No way. No way. I would have thought that. I in my head, I'm going like. No, this is you to go out and get fucked up and, you know, 
fight yeah. people and be a dick. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. My only plan, my only specific plan was ever to go out and get fucked up, which I, I certainly regret now. But, uh, you know, I got past it. So, But, but, what it does, but, but Keith, what it does is it makes your character stronger now. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like, if you didn't experience that life, you wouldn't be who you are sitting here, like, in front of your computer talking to me today. If you don't go you know? through those fucking struggles in life to feel what a struggle actually feels like and not just read the definition of it, actually yeah. experience real life fucking struggle like you you cannot appreciate like that life like like this like 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 i'm thankful for this well actually you know what i'll take that back i'm not thankful for half the fucking shit i did i'm, I'm very remorseful for a majority of the stuff that i've done in my life yeah but you know i feel bad for a ton of shit but but now that i look on it and i'm like i'm not that person anymore like i, I hold myself in a different and a different like demeanor and a different standard of living, and, and it's for the better. I know this. I understand that. Yeah. No. I. I hundred percent. I think there's certain things about my life that uh, I try to teach my girls now. And one of the things this is this is going completely full circle. And this is literally the first thing I started talking about Bobby with the other day was. <laughs> I always talk about with my daughters like you know sometimes you just have to take risks because sometimes risks are really really fun and if you calculate them enough and really think about it like it's not really that risky but in the moment like there's there's some sense of being really in that moment and being scared or being nervous and enjoying yeah. it and especially the thrill of when it's over and you know you overcame something so one of those things that uh Bob you are 100% responsible for this was bringing me to Byberry. Like when we were younger, uh, if you guys aren't familiar with it, Byberry was a mental institution that had, I think, opened in the 1880s, 1890s. Um, and then it was closed during the Reagan administration, I think in 83. Yeah, um, and they let all the patients go. And Yeah, and I remember reading a study. They, no, of, it, was, it, was, it was if, if the patients didn't have families and the families didn't want them, the yeah. patients were released. Yeah, the super high level people that were like criminal, they, they were, they were, they were transferred. Yeah, they were transferred. But people that had been either, um, uh, like people that had been, been like essentially involuntarily committed, like people that had been, you know, uh, schizophrenic and all these like, serious, serious problems, like, uh, you know, people that had bipolar disorder or borderline disorder, um, were just released onto the streets. Um, and a good chunk of them didn't know where to go. Uh, I remember reading a study years ago that said something like the area of like 30% above or 30% or more of the homeless that were in Philadelphia were a direct result of people leaving Byberry and making their way towards Center City. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we used to go there after they closed it. Uh, when do you think or when do you think we really started going there? That was high school, right? JD was a senior or junior in high school when we started going. So 99, like 98, like 90, 99. 90, 99. I think I, I, I just, I just graduated. I was out. Yeah. That's when like Mark Amoebus would come down from like Doylestown and shit. From Plumstead. Yeah. 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 From Plumsteadville, And he would come all the way down and he, we would all go out together. It, it was always wild. It was always something that was going to fucking happen. And, and getting chased a, by security guards. Yes. You know? They had, remember they got, they got quads at one point and they were chasing us around with quads. But I, yeah, yeah. I, I remember uh, that's like one of those things where it's like it was a, a, a huge risk to go in there. But because you got caught, you, you were going to get fucking a lot of trouble for that. Oh, yeah. Trespassing. I mean. Oh, yeah. And it's it's wild now to think like, uh, you know, 
one of the things that I always thought about when we went over there was, and this is something I've kind of reflected on, like, as I've slowed down, like, you know, with, with being like sober in my life, like, and, you know, kind of like taking steps to kind of like remove portions of like getting like way fucked up. Um, one of the things that we thought about, is like, Oh my God, we used to go into Biber and I'm like, in my head, like I'm telling this story as like a 38 year old person going, Oh yeah, but we used to get real fucked up before we went in. I'm like, no, we didn't. None <laughs> no, of we us. Didn't. No, none of we didn't get because I was still straight edge at the time. JD was straight edge. I was I was straight edge. I think at that point yeah. in time, like this was just us breaking into a mental institution to go fucking wander around. Um, and the other thing people don't know about Byberry, if you if you're not familiar with it, there's a good chunk of people that they don't. No one lives in there. People that was like the whole thing. Oh, fucking people live in there. There may have been one or two random homeless people that kind of like camped out in there for a little bit. The vast majority of people you saw in there that were not other kids exploring it were people stripping copper, like people just ripping fixtures out, people stripping copper to go scrap it. Like that's pretty much the only people that you ever saw in there. Um, I remember going in there during the day once with Mike McGonigal and that was fucking, that was surreal. Just (laughs) seeing the, like the light shine through and just the dust and the asbestos. The amount of dust. Yo, everywhere. Just floating in the air. You're breathing it in. You know, it's just, oh, Jesus Christ. And it seemed like they closed the place in such a rush. Um, yes. There was so many things. Like, there was... Uh, well, the, we found the film room, and we found all those films, and they had films yeah. that basically they would show the orderlies how to handle patients. They yeah. also, I found an 8mm Jaws, the original Jaws uh, yeah. movie. Uh, Do you on have a any of that shit? No, I didn't. See, I wasn't a collector of junk then. I turned into a collector of junk when I got older. <laughs> that would be older. good shit to have, like, you, you play that on, like, a projector in the back while you're, like, playing a show. That's, oh, like, my God. You can, you can like, give the whole story of, like, where you actually found this. Like, we, we yeah. were in the projection room. We were in the medicine room. There was a crematorium, the rubber the rooms. I was there for that. I was You there know, you, the-, the nurseries and stuff like that. The- I found there was a nurse's station. The nurse's stations on certain parts of the building were set up on the corners. So they were, like, this... Um, like they looked like a big semicircle. Um, and I remember we got into one cause somebody had smashed out the whole door. Um, the doors were like that, what, like the glass with like the wire inlay. So it was really yeah. hard to break through. So somebody had like taken like a, uh, old fire extinguisher and smashed it out. Um, so you were able to get in there and there wasn't much in there, but, um, there was a lot of file cabinets and we started going through the file cabinets and I actually found a piece of paper. I still have it somewhere upstairs, which was, that paper they give you in like kindergarten and first grade, which is like the real heavy uh, blue lines and then like the dotted red line in the middle. And yeah. it was some guy that was practicing his uppercase and lowercase alphabet. And I remember its name was, it said Franklin at the top and it said age 33. And it looked like a child's writing like on it. And I oh remember it being like, I folded it up, I put it in my back pocket and I, I put it away for shit 20 years at this point and i i was cleaning stuff out like maybe well, and you found it and i found it and i was like oh my That's cool, god man. it was just like holy shit and that, that all those moments rush back to you of we lived such at like we thought everything was hilarious there was never anything about that time that made me like there was like heartbreak and stuff like that with girls and yeah. whatnot but like thinking back on that time with my friends it was magic we had so much fun everything was like everything was hilarious i don't ever remember going anywhere without like having like especially if like 
depending on the people that were around, just cracking up the entire time, like the whole time, just fucking laughing. Like everything was making noises, teasing people, coming up with nicknames for people. Like it was just, I think back on that time and it, and it's like, it was such there a, was de- there was definitely a lot of teasing that went on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, all right guys, well, I'm going to segue off of Byberry yeah. and back into music. So, uh, <laughs> uh, that'll be the next hour of us, my band. <laughs> yeah. uh, Bob, let's get down to the straight business. Now, do you think a life once lost will ever play a show again? Uh, hard to say. Hard to say. I mean, we've, we've, uh, certain members have tossed around the idea of, mm-hmm. uh, maybe trying to do something, but uh, I, I don't want it. I want it to be right. I don't want it to be forced. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it, it was always, uh, I'll, I'll say that I, I did get together with, uh, you know, with, uh, three of the dudes mm-hmm. when we did, we did play a little bit and the feelings that I got from like, you know, singing like surreal atrocities and whatnot was kind of, uh, surreal. Wow. Uh, but, uh, man, um, it, it's hard to say. We, we got offered to play, uh, the, one of the beer fests, I think, uh, like two years ago, mm-hmm. when uh, when I think when Integrity played the the, the pre show or something like that, we were going to be like another band on a bill or something, and uh, we just couldn't get it together. You know, uh, just everyone's lives are all mixed up and whatnot. Yeah, uh, a lot of guys don't like the, the communication is there amongst a few, not everybody. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if there was a reincarnation of it, it might not be an exact same lineup. But then again, what lineup was the yeah, where, what, lineup, what was that you know? a solid lineup anyway? Yeah. Yeah, there was like three different lineups. Yeah, we had the you know, the demo, the open your mouth, we had the fourth leg error, we had the great artist, Hunter, Iron Gag error, and then we had the ecstatic trance error, you know. Like yeah. it, we, we definitely we we molded ourselves into you know, we grew as we went. We always matured, we never did the same record over and over. We never we, we found formulas and they worked. That's cool. But why, yeah. why are we going to constantly rewrite the same fucking record over and over? That That's boring. It's bland. It's dumb. Yeah. It's a waste of time. Yeah. You know? So there's there's a possibility. There's been discussions. There's even been a rehearsal, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. There has been stuff. I mean, there's a possibility. But when? Uh, no time soon. You know yeah. what I mean? Obviously not 2020. Not 2021 probably either. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, be- between like Carpenter and Justin both being, uh, you know, as busy as they are with vexes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away from them. Uh, you know, Nick has, uh, Nick has a beautiful family right now. He's a, a union steam fitter, so he does very well for himself and mm-hmm. he, he's living his best life right now. So it's, it's not a main priority. I think if there was only, if there was one person in the band itching to do it and pushing to do it, it would probably be me. Yeah. Uh, just to feel it, what it felt like you know, to feel that way one more time kind of thing. Right. But it, it wouldn't be a tour, you know, it'd be maybe like a, a handful of shows if that. And that would yeah. be it. I think that's the way to do it, honestly. You know, you know, all I, older now, it's like, who wants to get back in a van and do like a, a U.S. tour or like, you know, you just play a couple of really good shows and, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, you, you turn in one of the, like one of those special festival bands, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like uh, where, you know, shit like, uh, you get a weird festival out in like California or somewhere in like fucking Europe and they're like, Oh, we'll give you like, you know, this much and fly out. 
and you're like, okay, oh, that's, that's kind of sick. Right. That's a good vacation. Enough, that's enough to make right. me well, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Can you just leave my uh, my my return ticket open so that I can just come back whenever I feel like it now? <laughs> so, so let's close out by talking about your current project, Mind Power. Yeah, yeah, we uh, cool dudes, man. Um, they were uh, Wilkesbury guys. Uh, I booked a few of their bands. Um, bass player, he was jamming in Legia for a little while. Uh, Ryan, our guitar player, he was playing with Dead End Path. Uh, the mm-hmm. other two dudes, Bill and Greg, they've, they've been in a shitload of different kind of bands. They were sending me stuff for a long time, and I kept just blowing it off. Um, I, I was in a, uh, a relationship with, uh, with this chick, and... Uh, it was going somewhere, you know, I felt like a future was about to start and I'm like, no, I don't want to do music. I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to focus on my career. Mm-hmm. And then that's, that ended, that was done. Yeah. And then it was like right near Christmas time. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, fuck this. Like I hit, I hit up one of the dudes. I'm like, I'm going to come out there at the end of January. He's like, all right, cool, cool. He's like, hear the songs again. And I'm like, cool. So I just spent that month just like listening to these five songs. And it was the depopulation EP that we, they, that that's out. And um, I spent a month, I didn't write anything, but I spent a month just like listening to it. And then the day of, I rolled up there and I left like kind of earlier just to make sure that like, you know, I gave myself enough time to you kind of go up and, and go into nature. Okay. So there's that spot up there, seven tubs, Tommy, you know what that's at, right? Yeah. Fuck it, dude. So we went, yeah. I, so I go to seven tubs, I end up writing a bunch of the songs, go there, I track them, they send them back to me. And then after that, it was just kind of history uh we did the q series um which is four four uh eps four songs in a piece and we did that over a year we made it like kind of a, a special release schedule to it um just trying to recreate how to release music uh, i noticed a few bands actually picked up what we did and they're starting to do it now which is like kind of smaller cool. eps yeah yeah just doing like you know the case you strain just did it with decay and it's, it's, you know, they're doing two songs on each record. And at the end of it, it's DK and they're put up DK as a, as a piece. You know what I mean? Like it, it makes sense because it builds your catalog up and it brings more attention and it keeps people coming back to you if they weren't already into you. So with Mind Power, you know, we went the first month, we went up maybe 80 listeners to maybe a 200. The second, we went from 200 to like 400. And then from 400, we put out Q3 and we jumped to 10,000, 15,000 people listening to us a month. Wow. And, you know, and then we put out Q4 and everything's great. And we weren't making money, as much money off of Spotify to think that we were going to be able to like actually finance this, this, this record ourselves. Uh, we just ran into a guy, Jeremy Myers, who does the Chamonix Creek Brewing Company and a few other little projects. Uh, he has Jumpstart Records. He's going to release uh, an LP of a collection of that Q series, uh, probably later in this, this year. So. Nice. You know, and you collaborated with Rob Fusel on one of the songs and, uh, Northeast scene guest, Mike Shaw. How was it, uh, collaborating with Mike on a song? It was cool. It was cool. I, I made a point to make this record like a Candiria record where I, every song had a guest on it. And that was yeah. my, <laughs> that was my goal and my intentions from the get go was that I could utilize my own credibility within music, but why not like incorporate something that, you know, I'm creating with someone else that, you know, helped and give me a voice. So everyone that I chose in this was someone that, you know, I respect it on, 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 and that I've toured with, that I've played with, 
that I've done something for that I've just, I, I truly respected their talent. And Mike, Mike was one of them. Mike was always, you know, that, that dude, he was wild. He was fucking strange, but it's his own character. And if he was not that way, there's something wrong. You know what I mean? Like, like Mike is just a very unique human being and, and, and a great human being. And he came in, he had lyrics written. I gave him the song and we went through it a couple of times and he finally caught it and caught a groove in, in, in the one track. And it, it was awesome, man. It, it turned out really, really fucking cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a great song. So folks, check out Mind Power. You can hear them on Spotify and probably other places you get music, but I only use Spotify. So, that... By the way, Tommy, are you back on Spotify now? You got back on, right? Eh, I, I, I am, but I'll be honest with you. I fucking, I was listening to that. What was the, the uh, OT The Real? That dude yeah. has a new EP out. And I, I went to Spotify. I tried to find it. I found it. It ads played and then the song i wanted didn't play i just went right to youtube yeah, but dude, get, get premium you yeah. uh, listen bob tommy's fucking around with youtube like i sent him a link yeah. to a spotify song he's like oh i can't find it on youtube i'm like what the fuck? you can what find the you can find anything on youtube any music and i used to be a youtube whore when it comes down no. to it i just no. got on spotify through a friend of mine he had an extra pass i pay five dollars a month 60 bucks a year and i got no more ads i don't got to listen to any bullshit stuff no stupid yeah. songs. Anything I want to hear, I can find. And now what I've been doing is I've been going to like Pitchwork and other sites, and I'm looking at their top 50 lists of and the just year. Just trying try shit out. Yeah, just trying yeah. stuff out. And I found, I've actually found a lot of really cool things. Uh, dude, uh, Little Albert, uh, from he's from Italy, and it's like a blues, like a dead meadow, like yeah. kind of blues oh, band. Shit. Yeah, yeah. But, but man, he is so fucking good yeah tommy we're in the music business now man with this podcast i gotta be able to i gotta i gotta be able to bounce bands off you i can't I'm have you fucking, fucking i'm in the math business son <laughs> <laughs> Stack, son uh but i'm looking no, at man. i don't know how much is it i don't fucking 60 bucks premium for a year yeah. but that's a fa that's like premium which i mean yeah. all in all if you look at your monthly bills it's only five dollars a month we're gonna listen to mind power we're going to listen to the Life Once Lost catalog. It's what about Left to Vanish? Oh, and Left, Left to Vanish. Yes. That, that, rec to that record came out pretty wild, too. And that's a wild story all in itself. But I know you're running out of time. So, yeah. Well, we're going to we're going to get to that next time. So, okay. well, Bob, this was awesome. And we both just want to say thanks for being on. Thank you very much, Keith and Tommy. Uh, it's been an honor to, guy to call you guys my uh, friends over 21 years. I've known you. And, uh, I love what you're doing with this. It's bringing back a lot of really nice memories for, with uh, with what the scene was, you know, and what will yeah. be. Thank oh, you yeah. so much, Bobby. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember, subscribe to us on your podcast medium of choice. Like, share, comment, and review. We haven't gotten any reviews in a while, so we need some new ones. Good or bad, you know, just be honest. Give it to us. We're ready for it. Continue to write to us at northeastscene at gmail.com. We want your ticket stubs, your flyers, your show videos, everything, your show feedback, your stories. Send it to us. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The NE Scene. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. And until next time. Yeah!